When a humble bard graced a ride along with Geralt of Rivia, along came this song. From when the white wolf fought a silver-tongued devil, his army of elves at his hooves at bay level. They came after me with a masterful deceit Broke down my loot and they kicked in my teeth While the devil's horns minced our tender meat And so cried the witcher, he can't be bleed Toss a coin to your witcher Oh valley of plenty, oh valley of plenty I'm called the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome to the long-awaited official first episode of The Witcher Book Club. Um, I've introduced this a lot. I've teased this a lot. I've said this is coming. I had some idea of people who might be involved in said Witcher Book Club now that the show continues to kill it and books continue to sell, sell, sell. The old games are now all bestsellers once again um, because everybody loves The Witcher and we love The Witcher. And Jedi Geek Girl, like Siri, we were going to be the best Witcher of all the Witchers, but Jedi Geek Girl, I cannot believe you are one of them, as he said to you off-air a couple months ago, if you told me that you would come to me and ask to do a podcast about the book, The Last Wish, which is arguably one of the greatest works of, of literature of all time, I, I, I would have been over the moon happy, but I would not have believed you. And so, with that introduction, to talk about the book, The Last Wish, by... Andrei Sapkowski, one of the great writers of all time, and the brains behind The Witcher, Jedi Geek Girl, I cannot wait to talk to you about this particular thing. Yeah, I cannot di- I cannot wait to dive in, eat it, and I'm right with you. If you would have told me this a month ago or two months ago that I would be talking about this instead of my episodic jab at Star Wars, at <laughs> the Mandalorian, or Rise of Skywalker, I wouldn't believe you, so... And all, it, it all happened so fast. And you made the joke about being a jilted lover with Star Wars. And now with, now the Witcher of the show is like your Geralt, right? He just kind of slid right in there and seduced you. And now you're completely under his spell. Or Yennefer. Yeah, well, interesting choice of words there, slitting in. But <laughs> Hey, that was you. You said that, not me. You said that. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. He just kind of slunk, slunk right in there. Uh, she tried to turn the situation on him, and we will talk about that in the last wish. But what I'm saying, Jenny Girl, and you, we talked about this at the beginning of the last podcast because it was important to set up, was that you wouldn't have jumped on this so quickly. Uh, you know, you just would have had too much else going on with Star Wars until you're like, oh, I completely need something new. Now, guys, go listen to our two and a half hour podcast from last week or week before where we talk about the show and, and how uh, Jedi Geek Girl, you know, really gave it an, an open-minded chance right off the bat and ended up really, really liking it. Um, and uh, I think um, even though Jedi Geek Girl, we, we're going to try and limit the TV to so focus on the book, it's, it's inevitable that's going to come up. 
Um, I think we're going to end up being simpatico on the same wavelength about the whether it works or not, whatever, all the time. But the the, the attempt of loyalty to the book, The Last Wish, which you just finished, would you agree with me that it's it's almost hard to believe how loyal they tried to do it in the series with some of these stories? I would agree, yes, but I also like how they complement each other. Mm. Like, the the TV show is obviously more visual. There's a little bit more action with it. Like, it expands upon the action a bit more compared to the book, but the book is more heavy dialogue, and it expands upon more with the details, just like books do. And sometimes when you have two forms of media on the same story, they don't always complement each other. And I thought this book and the TV show complement each other pretty well. So a couple of questions about your process uh, and the process and the experience. And it will come, more of that will come out as we go. And then we'll start talking about the stories. Um, so, uh, when you, um, do, so, you know, I always tell everyone to start with the last wish, no matter what. Um, and for me, it's a two parter with uh sort of destiny, which we'll get back to later. And I'm sure you noticed as you read a, uh, complete lack of Siri and mostly until at the end, a uh, lack of Yennefer, um, and you're thinking about the first half of the series in comparison, and that's why Jake, of course, they had to do the Siri timeline split to, to get her in there and get everyone in there. Uh, the three timelines, really, um, uh, which maybe we will get back to, um, but you love, you do love books, but you're like me. We read mostly genre st- uh, stuff and we read authors. You had the stories, but it must have been kind of a weird experience um, for you. But you, I'm sure, knew that going in. So the question really here is, at what point, you being a reader and a literary person, uh, did the thought, um, you know, really crystallize, like, I kind of want to read this thing, too? Within the past couple of days, I would say probably sometime within the past week, I guess, because uh, I really enjoy, well, for my job, I am allowed to, well, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to, but I, I listen to like podcasts and I was listening to Star Wars books at work, like through Audible, I would get a credit and I would re-listen to a book I already read and I was kind of missing that a little bit, not having that and because I have no interest in in, in listening to Star Wars books, even new ones, I'm like, well, I am kind of curious about The Witcher and I want to try to find out more about the world. You know, why not do that? And I sat on it for a couple of days and then I was talking to you and then I'm like, you know what, I'll just do it tomorrow because tomorrow, tomorrow being Friday because Friday's my long day and I can usually plow through a book that day depending on the length of the book and how much work I have, uh, so I was able to put a good dent into it on Friday. So, so what was it like? So you're listening to the audiobook, which you don't always do or normally do, right? Correct. Not not the first time, Un- unless it's like an audiobook exclusive. So you know, when you're dealing with a property like this, Jedi Geek Girl, if do mind, just brief introspection here. It's so bizarre because. You know, you start, you, you, me, I start by playing, you know, 200 hours of The Witcher 3, in which everything is spoiled if you want it to be, essentially, and you know what to look for, 
at that point because that's the furthest future of any of this lore is the witcher 3 and they you know leave books all over the world that tell all of these stories you can find the book the last wish and you know each of the stories or whatever dandelions poetry and blah 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 blah. um then you go back to the last wish all the way in the beginning and the Yennefer reveal, which we're going to get to in The Last Wish, is amazing as Anya's performances in episode two and three um, as, you know, Hunchback Yennefer and her transformation. What blew my mind was I knew Yennefer so well, future Yennefer, who was tight, you know, you know, more tight and more adult with Geralt and Ciri and so forth in the game. And then learning that she was a hunchback, I don't know if, if I had heard that in the lore in the game and just forgot about it at some point because it just hit you over the head and, and you're not reading the books at that point. But So that was such a weird experience, but it really – I was like very emotional when I read that because that I was like, that explains – all the bizarreness around this woman uh, from the game that uh, I've experienced and just like her aura and her vibe and and that episode, quote unquote episode, that chapter, The Last Wish we're going to talk about. So it's all very weird how it happens. So to throw it back to you in terms of the, the sort of uh, different media crashing into each other. So when you went into reading this, you you were aware from me, right? Us talking about how this was like one of the two books in, in season one. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did, did how do I say this? Did you like look at the table of contents and stuff ahead of time? Like, did you know what st- stories were, were going to be told in in the Last Wish? No, no, I I went in completely uh, blind. I guess you can say. I think before we begin, I would like to say that I was kind of surprised that the first story in the book was the, the Stigger, Stigger, Stigger. Yep. or whatever. Yep. I, I was kind of taken back from that, and I think that's one of my favorite stories in the TV show is that it's episode. It's one of the highest rated, yep. Yeah, yeah, along with, obviously, Queen Kalenti. I'm not good at pronouncing these names and stuff like that. That's actually one of the lowest rated episodes, but yeah. Yeah, I, I was like... I don't know what I was expecting. I didn't know which story I was expecting first, but I... I call that really the tutorial episode. If you've never read The Witcher, you immediately throw him into the Striga thing with Tress and everything going on, right? And it's, you know, it's like The Witcher t- book tutorial. It, like, this is what The Witcher does. And I'd forgotten Jiggy Girl when I first did the commentary. I, I was mixed up in those first few episodes and had to make a correction because... I had remembered there being just like a witcher being a witcher thing. And then Renfrey was the first one that smacked me. And so the Striga actually had made less of an impression on me the first time I went through. Um, because again, 200 hours of the witcher, you're dealing with Strigas literally and things like Strigas all the time. And it's awesome. It's like his Sherlock Holmes investigatory stuff that you, you get to do in some of these stories and you get to do in the games. You just don't have time for later. And so it's really grown on me over time. I said going into the Jig Girl that I thought between the crazy Yennefer stuff and the horror aspect that, you know, that would be an episode that would really speak to fans. And indeed people, there was great feedback about that episode um and so i'm curious uh it sounds like you really liked it how, how did you feel the um the story version um uh complimented uh what what it sounds like you liked in the, sh- the show version um which again guys would be uh episode three of the, the tv show um when yennefer is you know going through a final transformation and, and Geralt and tress and uh are trying to take the uh the scary uh striga 
um, down. Uh, how, how did that, how was that when you started uh, listening to the audiobook? And of course, uh, open forum to talk about Peter Kenny um, and just the audiobook experience. Go ahead. I really enjoy the book version because usually when I read something that I've seen in visual media, usually you picture that in your head. However, with this story, I was able to picture my own version in the head without automatically picturing the TV show, which I really appreciate. And I really appreciate this episode because, like you said, this is the introduction to The Witcher, and it's not just him fighting a monster per se it shows the depth of his character and he saves this girl he doesn't kill her and right away you are introduced to this character and you're like okay this is not just a heartless monster hunter that's just going to kill this damn woman and like i said it was really wonderful experiencing it because it stimulated my imagination which usually sometimes don't usually happen with stories uh, or books it depends on it and I also really appreciate another thing that I noticed right away that I really enjoyed that I mentioned previously was the heavy dialogue I love books that have the heavy welcome dialogue. to the witcher welcome to yes. the next seven books of your life I'm glad you like heavy dialogue because that is that's what, what the whole witcher is about yeah, because there's like five or ten minutes of two characters just talking, and I really enjoy that compared to like with Star Wars or maybe other books where there's like a lot of action going on. And I've mentioned this in my own podcast where I tend to lose track of like what's going on with the action, but with the dialogue and people explaining stuff and setting up the world and stuff like that, I'm able to follow along with it a lot easier. So I really appreciate that. And it didn't take me long to really get into the story and really engrossed in it. So just as a quick aside early on, um, he, he in the short stories, way more than the novels, he does the, the little uh, pr- um, uh, interludes uh, between the stories and so forth. What did you think of that as a, a kind of device for, for bridging uh, these, what seem, Jagged Girl, to be unrelated stories in The Last Wish, other than they're around Geralt's life, uh, it, we, by mid-Sword of Destiny in, you know, into the series saga, turned out, you know, they're very far from unrelated, and the TV show did a spectacular job of making them even more related in the show than they are in the books, because they have to do that to build on this series um footnote that jk girl the big tv question i want to ask you at, at the end um uh, and the, you know invite our listeners to uh chime in on too is uh you know like like whether um like that was even the smart idea for them to take this on even if they nailed doing stories like the last wish uh, in the Duty of the Hedgehog story and so forth. It's an interesting question about, you know, uh, just the balls. It's not really, really a question. I mean, my feeling is there's giant balls to do it. But we'll, we'll talk at the end about, you know, just like what must have been going through their head when deciding how to start the Witcher story. Because, Jay Geek Girl, just talk about some structural stuff. And then I do want to talk about the first two major stories, the Striga story, um, but of course, Remfrey and Strigobor and so forth. Um, uh, what's it called? The Lesser, Lesser Evil? Yeah. Right. Which is the first major moral debate, uh, you know, the, uh, and, and between as Geralt's knocked between the two of uh, Renfrey and Strigobor as a ping pong ball uh, that he's not aware that he is. Um, but uh, what did you feel like reading? What what are clearly short stories that you saw framed first in this show in a much more narrative. 
yes, there are multiple timelines, but much more narrative um, and, uh, you know, directed way. What was that experience like? I really appreciate it because this is a form of storytelling that I don't feel like we get a lot of, especially in the fantasy setting. Obviously, you're more informed on this than I am, but this is really my first time experiencing these like short stories connected with an analog. And obviously, at the TV show, you have the converging timeline. It, it's really fascinating. It makes it a lot more unique compared to the other media and books that you read where they're a little bit more linear or at least with Star Wars, it's a lot more clear that, you know, it's different timelines and stuff like that. And I would have to say for the record that I didn't know what was going on with the interlude to like the third one. I'm like, oh, okay, now I, now, now I know what's going on here with the voice of reason. So, it, um... Lauren Hestrick, my the, the 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 current um owner of the Golden Goddess Throne here at the Bizzlecast. Kathleen, I love you. I, I think you can turn it around, girl, but right now Lauren Hestrick is sitting on the Golden Goddess Throne. But it's it's Jiggy girl, it's the reason that I'm going to steal it away from Kathleen so easily is a the extent to which they created an entire new franchise that was already based on a franchise that was already based on a franchise and made it as big as Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones immediately, but also the outreach to the fans with all the websites and the interviews, and now we're getting an anime series, and there's rumors of comic books, which I think for sure is going to happen, his new comic book series. Um, And, you know, it sounds like Henry Cavill's even voicing heavy amounts in the anime series, which we didn't think was going to be the case. And that's why he wasn't at some of the press stuff, because they're trying to get that out as soon as possible, because people want the content. So it's just amazing what she does, but also the outreach to the fans and and really communicating stuff. And she really explained some key things. Um, One that we won't have, you know, uh, cause to really talk about today was the their hardest decision, which was to not have Siri and Geralt spend time together extensively, uh, sort of late last season before separating and then coming back together as opposed to never meeting before. Uh, it was a giant decision, influenced the entire series, and, and I don't think is going to influence the characters whatsoever going forward after that hug and amazing exchange at the end. They, and they had to make it, but it was a, it, it was a tough call. Um, but well, she talked a lot Ren- that Renfrey is her favorite. And the reason Renfrey is her favorite is be- and the reason they decided to do the Renfrey Strigobor story, unless they're evil uh, in the series Jedi Geek Girl, before the Striga story with Triss is because you know Renfrey is the one totally um, uh, off the reservation, but also like sort of unofficial, powerful female uh, m- magical person. I know she doesn't seem like a sorcerer, but she, you know she's a cursed. She was like born during an eclipse, and she was experimented on by Strigobor. And, I mean, she's like a she's like a total freak of nature. Um, and b- b- in contrast to the women who are mostly very organized, and one of the things that's really cool going forward in the series is that the the, the female sorcerers and enchantresses really hate each other, but they keep trying to bring together what they call the lodge or the brotherhood or the sisterhood and work together. As horrible as it is, to contrast with all the men who are working completely freelance and against each other and so forth, it is an interesting thing going forward. But you can already see the battle of Sodden at, at the end of the um. 
um, at, at the end of the season. And so, what was it like for you to meet Triss, who's very much like an official Enchantress Sorceress character, and also Remfrey, well before Yennefer, or Remy, I should say, uh, in The Last Wish, the way the, the chapters are structured and, and, uh, and placed? Well, obviously, I read it after seeing the TV show, so I had an idea in my head, and it was trying to line it up with what I saw in the TV show because I feel like with the morality tale of the lesser evil, that is something that there's a lot of depth into that you can really sit in and chew. And I really appreciate how it was a little bit different different than what you see in the TV show. And I was waiting for the prophecy that you see in the TV show about uh, the Lioness Club. So... Yeah, it was it was really interesting. It's one of those stories that I really appreciate because I feel like there's a lot of meat there compared to like some of the other stories. And one of the reasons why I want to go back and watch the TV show because I feel like if you go back to it and look at it through the lens of knowing what you know after seeing everything, it seems like it, the, the lens is a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, again, you're coming from the TV show. I came from the game. It was similar in the sense of, you know, I was waiting for. So the difference is, you're now reading sort of the expanded original version of what you already saw. I had not experienced the Last Wish. I knew some of the lore. I knew that Geralt and Yennefer were bound via the Last Wish because the most memorable thing in The Witcher Three, uh, that's not all the Siri Geralt fighting the Wild Hunt and being daddy daughter stuff. Which is so sweet. They hug so much at the game. It's adorable. Uh, but, uh, is Yennefer and Geralt find another genie? And, because Yennefer loves Geralt, but she wants to be 100% sure that it's not magic. And Geralt agree. Well, you can decide as the player, but of course I always agree to go along with it. And the genie takes away the, the bonds of the last wish, sort of like the end of Aladdin. Or whatever. And then you as a character get to decide what your response is to Yennefer. Because you can end up with just Marigold in that game. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, but of course I always, what, God, it's like, come on. He clearly loves Yennefer. It's, it's like anti-lore for him not to end up with Yennefer. So say, of course I still love you. Um, and you, over the course of the game, you're building and building the fact that you, you love her or you don't love her or whatever as the character. And so anyways, I knew some of this lore, but like I said, with the hunchback, I didn't know all the details of the lore or how it played out. So when I first came, got through the, the book, I will, Admit that the Striga and story and the Renfrey story it, w- were cool, but they didn't make such a huge impression on me like the Dandelion story and the Yennefer story. But then also uh, the the uh, the Queen Calanthe, because again, Siri, Dandelion, Yennefer, and Carol—they're the main characters, so, right? And so, as someone who's who was playing, uh, you know, all the main characters down the road coming back, I was like, oh, when are we going to be with Dandelion and Yennefer and so forth? Obviously, going back now makes me appreciate it. I will say, well, I'm not a big horror person, and and probably the all of the coolest uh, sort of side quests of The Witcher, of which there are many, involve putting undead creatures to rest in very creative ways. That's usually not slashing them, um, and that's an important thing. I'd love for you to talk about at any point. Is you know, Geralt's constantly trying to do everything possible to reduce death, even with the fact that there's horrible monsters and horrible people, including negotiation 
which we'll get to in the edge of the world, uh, with, with yes, here, AKA, um, uh, dandelion. But I will say that uh, to go all the way back to what I was saying of the golden goddess is history loves, uh, uh, Renfrey, but she, as I said in the last podcast, so I'm not going to go on too long about this particular point is just that we like Renfrey, in addition to the morality tale, as you said, in addition to just, you know, introducing us to people like Renfrey and Strigobor and these poor little villages and magic and death and, you know, prophecy and blah, 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 all of which they did. Of course, it's an all Geralt episode because it's the first episode and it's the Witcher, so it's got to be all Geralt, um, that she felt like that should go um, first. I don't really think it matters, uh, like, if you rearranged it in the short story book, which, again, is just a credit to Martin Hesterick and the whole crew for, for how they did it. Um, but let me ask you, while we have those two episodes, because I think we like both those chapters and both those episodes, uh, well, no, let me ask you about Renfrey uh, uh, first. Uh, I was going to ask you about, you know, whether it was natural for them to, to flip those two in terms of the order. Um, uh, but I, I, I don't know if I got it straight um, what you thought about the Renfrey uh, episode uh, verse uh, chapter. Well, they're obviously very different because given the media and my experiencing experiencing them and it's one of those things that like I said has a lot of layers that I want to experience again and again to get some further clarification just because you go into it at least I did where it seemed very clear and then things get complicated and then you would have that situation where he is put into a situation where he's forced to choose I guess is what I take away from it and it is something that it stimulates you your your philosophy I guess it, it at least for me it did so let me ask you, let's get philosophical. We'll talk about the lesser evil. Is Strigobor wrong? He's evil. He's really evil. And by the way, Jaggy Girl, Strigobor is the oldest of all of them. He was alive hundreds of years before Tosaya and the, the Women's Academy came together. He's like three or four hundred years old, at least in the show. He's like the old, you know, evil acting like not so evil wizard. But the question is, because he experimented on her, it's his fault and she was already, you know, in a royal line and had magical blood. And then he experimented on her after this eclipse, which he started to be, think was a prophecy or whatever, uh, and which drove her totally mad. And so, you know, let me put it this way, Jagged Girl. If you, if you accidentally uh, get a dog rabid... You still got to put the dog down, right? And that's what he's saying. It's brutal, right? It's brutal what, what, what he's saying to him. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if this is just my interpretation, but I took her side of it over his. I, I don't know if that's just how it is presented or it's just my perspective, but that's just the way I took it. Or if we as an audience are supposed to be manipulated into it, but it seems like listening to her talk about it and him talk about it, to me it seems like she makes more sense. But But it's one of those things where... They're both evil, for lack of words, but it, but it's not clear. No, she's just highly disturbed and out of control, and he's evil. And the the reason they had another, so the uh, it, doing this first episode, I think, is a no brainer in terms of the TV show because it teaches you almost everything about the world immediately in in the episode. And I think you find that to be the case in the book too, right? Even if it's sort of after the fact, uh, in that. In terms of evil, Strigobor is evil. 
she's just crazy. It, it, but of course you sympathize with her. And this show makes it clear, too, that, I mean, Geralt doesn't just sympathize with her because she's a beautiful, sexy, powerful young woman and vice versa, right? I mean, that's the other problem with Geralt is he's just completely biased by his feelings for these women. And it doesn't it doesn't end, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, you got to throw that in there, too. It, we're getting it from Geralt's perspective. Re- remember, people out there, after the first two books, which made the first season Sword of Destiny and Last Wish, uh, we spend way less time with Geralt. Uh, I would say only like one fifth of the, you know, whose brain are you in stuff uh, <laughs> is Geralt's brain once the series saga starts. We're with Triss, we're with Tessia, we're with Yennefer, we're with Ciri, with, we're, we're with Dandelion, we're with the Emperor of Nilfgaard, we're with Vilgefortz, um, and we're with a whole bunch, whole bunch of people. Um, I died. I would like to say before you go any further that I'm sitting here and thinking that to me, just because you don't have the mental fatigue, if if you if you're mental, if you are damaged mentally, it doesn't absolve you of evil acts. If that makes any sense, like somebody who is brain dead can still be capable of evil acts, even if they're not capable of the evil um, motive behind it. Um, Evil is evil, I guess. It's just. The different levels of a tent, but that, that that's just what I'm trying to say is, if that makes any sense. Yeah, in the end, Geralt does not do it because Strigobor tells him to do it, and he doesn't even do it because of Strigobor's sort of moral, philosophical argument. But he's, he's forced into it. He's forced into it, and so he still feels yep. like shit, because even though he had his own reasons, and he, he knows... You know, that's the thing. It's like with someone you don't like and you don't want to do what they do and you end up doing what they want for your reasons, right? You still feel like shit because they got what they want. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And Geralt and, and is never one to spite. He Geralt will constantly, you know, they again, they highlighted brilliantly in the first season to, te- to tease what, what Geralt's really going to be like when he gets fleshed out, how much he likes to spit in the face of fate and destiny, you know, and, and all this stuff. But in the back of his head, he, 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 it's, it's working him. It's working his brain. And he's trying to resist it by, by being rebellious or whatever and, and spitting in its face. But he, you know, like, let's put it this way. There was a reading where he puts Renfrey down because she's just a mob leader. Right? I mean, she's just... She's a thug. Yeah. She's a murderous thug. And and the problem is he should put Strigobor down, you know? And, 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 you know, this is one of the fantasy tropes, you know, is like they they always get a shot at the big bad wizards um, and they they don't do it. Now, Geralt has his reasons for not taking Strigobor down. And uh, it's not a huge spoiler that there are a lot of male sorcerers that end up being a lot more important. Very, like, all of them. Really, by the end of the season, I mean, we had Strigobor at the sort of council at the end of the, uh, the first season, but he's really not that important to that at that point. He's just an old dude. He wanted his village back. He created this monster, and so he hired a monster hunter to kill the monster. Right? I mean, th- but he's the monster. Like, oh, there's so much going on. I think. Yeah, but the problem is, quote, the monster is a human who was violated and lost a lot of her innocence. But right, but but rationally, if you can't fix it, and she's just going to keep on killing, because she says, here's the problem, Jaggy girl. He says, you kill her, you, you won't hear from me again. And, and he's not wrong. He just wants her dead and have his little village back, his little kingdom, right? 
she says, you kill him and we're good, but she's going to keep on going killing people, right? So the rational equation is even though he sympathizes with her emotionally, you know, she's got to be stopped. And, you know, my interpretation, again, this isn't a spoiler because he doesn't show up that much going forward, is Strigobor is so old and clearly he just wants to get out of the situation. He does one last major manipulation here to get Geralt to take care of this dirty work. Geralt doesn't think he's a major threat at, at this point, and Geralt will, will, will be right. And, and, and Geralt will find many, many, many more threats ahead of him. I think that's why he doesn't kill Strigobor. Um, and, you know, of course, the whole don't touch her body, I, I believe, is in the book, right? As well as the TV series. Yes, it is. So let's start the, let's start the discussion here. I mean, even though Lauren Hesserick said specifically they were casting strong for Renfrey and Strigobor, I mean, we got Lars Mikkelsen, and we got to be pretty happy about Grand Admiral Thrawn, right? I mean, come on. Um, but but the, the, the woman who played Renfrey was great, but they were also really focusing on that episode, setting up the world. And that's why it makes total sense, because like I said, while I really have come to appreciate the Striga, even not being sort of a horror monster guy, of, of that monster of that si- uh, sort, um, it, the Renfrey's one that really started to make me perk up when I was reading the story, and then, you know, and then things start to get really crazy. Um, because now we're, st- let me throw it to you. We're getting fantasy conventions and, um, stereotypes even and flipping it all around, right? About wizards and, you know, nat- women with nature, weird stuff going on, right? I mean, w- you and I talked about, you know, the influence of fairy tales and myths from Central Europe and, you know, the different European... Oh, let me ask you this. Just between the Striga stuff and the Renfrey stuff, did you continue to feel what you talked about last time as, like, you know, a, a very different feeling part of Europe in terms of the culture and the mythology and stuff? It was. And was I mistaken or were I, was I getting vibes to, like, Snow White? Like, like there was this figure... And, um, no, it, it was Renfrey, wasn't it? Because all um, those stories, sorry, Snow White, Cinderella, all those stories come from Central or Eastern Europe, and we have gotten versions that were, you know, went through Germany into Scandinavia and then to England, and so our versions are so different from the original versions, which are more from the geographical area that The Witcher takes place in. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I, but it, it really perked up my ears when they were talking about how she was in this cottage with seven short men. They weren't called um, dwarves. They were called something else. And, and, and this thing, and my mind immediately went to, wait, is that a tie-in to Snow White? It, 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 it's just something that I thought was really interesting. Yeah, we're going to have dwarves, we're going to have halflings, and we're going to have changelings. So, Jiggy Girl, while The Last Wish is totally a classic, there's, there's a lot of reasons why I think The Sword of Destiny is at least as good. Now, I will say right off the bat, people out there, Bizzlecast listeners, while I think the series saga is spectacular, every bit as good as uh, The Lord of the Rings and you know other major sagas, Robert Jordan... Feist, if you like Game of Thrones, whatever, you know, it, it's, it's easily up there. Jaggy Girl, as I said, it's way more dialogue and character stuff. So for me, it's way more interesting and deep and uh, uh, re-listenable, you know, and or, you know, re-readable or whatever um, uh, is the series saga. And because it's now linear and they're going more into traditional fantasy structure, even though the characters are non-traditional, they have way more room. Um, to, they don't have to be so loyal because there's a lot left to the imagination in 
in the books because they're not very long and a lot of it's dialogue. And so someone will be saying, oh, I heard a story from this person to this person about Vilgefort. Well, they're going to show that Vilgefort scene, you know, uh, behind the, behind the, you know, the, the, the screen or whatever that we don't get in the book the same way the Battle of Sodden. You know, Jake, because I told you the, like the, the last episode, that giant battle is total lore, completely happened there in that way with Yennefer against the Love Guardians and everything. That's completely lore. It just wasn't written in the books sort of chronologically in that way. It was sort of told to us later. All of Yennefer's backstory is given to us much, much, much later in the series saga. And so we'll probably be getting flashbacks and, and, and stuff like that as well. Um, but, uh, just to circle back, do you agree with me though that that the, between the Striga and the Renfrey story, you're starting to, uh, I mean, you know, it, yes, the folktale stuff for sure, you know, the Snow White, Seven Dwarf stuff, but also, you know, wizards and and um, about uh, uh, what do they call Renfrey? Renfrey in the book, they call her a Shrike or a Shriek. Does that come up? I mean, yes, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's like a Shriek or something, and she's like, don't call me that. Which is like a demon in in most tales, you know. I mean, like you're you're supposed to feel like there's a demon behind, you know, this this pretty face or or whatever. Um, it's never really clear. Um, did you feel like it was as as tragic uh, of an ending in the book? And side note, I, I mean this along with some of the other stories. I thought the Remfrey story was extremely loyal. Uh, on on TV to the book. I've gone back to the book. I need to really go word by word by word. But when I was researching for the commentaries, I tried to skim through as much of Last Wish and Sword of Destiny as possible for the stories they were telling. And as far as I could tell, other than the fact that he kills her by slicing her leg artery as opposed to sticking her in the throat, (laughs) which, you know, you got to stick her in the throat for a TV show so they can get the face-to-face, right? Um, There wasn't really a whole lot different. And so when when you're reading that, are you like, oh, my God, this is maybe much more loyal uh, going forward than than maybe I expected? I feel like... I related to her more in the book compared to the TV show. Mm-hmm. It seems like in the TV show, you really it really captured that there's, there's something there that's not quite right compared to like the book. Um, but maybe that's just me. Maybe it's just Can the media question? form. Can I ask you a question? Go for it. So I think one of the reasons that they did this portrayal of Renfrey in the TV show was to throw people off about Yennefer. And, you know, that, that was that big moment in our podcast. It, it took a few times of you saying it to really click with me last time that you thought Yennefer was going to be a like major bad guy. And it just, it, it finally hit me. I was like, wow. I, well, I, did, I didn't expect, no, but hold on. I, not only do I know tons of people who thought that way, I know people who still think she's going to be a who really don't like Yennefer and think she's going to be a major bad guy. And I'm not going to dissuade them of any notions because I want them to experience everything. But I think part of the reason they made Renfrey a little more distant and a little more just scary was to throw people off when we started experiencing something similar with Yennefer, right? You're going, oh, no, this woman's going on a similar path. And I, th- I think that was a bit of TV magic, but I also think it's completely, and I'm going to keep using this word as opposed to just saying loyal, completely in, in, uh, in sympathy or simpatico, you know, uh, with, with the original, um, uh, with, with the original property. Um, so to make this into a question, 
how do you see Renfrew, uh, you know, if you're the author throwing her out as, you know, your, your second major female character after Triss, um, what, what do you think she communicates about sort of the Witcher's kind of wider world? That it, it, that it has a lot of richness to it. It has a lot of complexity to it that things aren't as clear as what they seem, which we see later, like in the character of Jennifer. She's not this clear-cut character. She has layers, you know. She just doesn't have this power and motivation just because there's reasons behind it, you know, that she has a past, she has a history, and she's not this overly evil or again we, we were talking about this last episode she's not this overly evil or overly good character she's right. human you know what i'm saying and that, that's one of the things i think is so great about fantasy is how it captures the layers of humanity in these different species and how we have faults as humans but we have these aspects in these idealized species that we need to be our best selves, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. I think that's a major message of, of, of the books. Um, and I think, uh, again, J.G. Girl, and you brought this up, you know, the, the prophecy at the end, which is not in the book, right? Or it is? It's not. It's not in the book, it's right? It's not. But, nope. but again, t- in total simpatico with the feeling, because why? Well, I just said that they used uh they use one of uh, uh, one of the many reasons to put uh Remfrey first in the series and there's many reasons as we've been delineating and there's many more reasons we got to talk about Strigobor as well Lars Mikkelsen God bless the Mikkelsens uh is it, it, to throw you off and thinking Yennefer's headed in the same direction she's going to go crazy and just become totally evil well Yennefer goes crazy and she gets she's kind of evil but n- nothing like this but the but the reason the prophecy works is because the character Jedi Geek Girl, who at times acts the most like Remfrey, and we see it in Episode Seven when she talks about the time of contempt and the time of blood, and lets loose the elder blood magic on, on those kids trying to attack her and just murders all of them. Is Siri is the one who gets very Remfrey because her she is such a, b- a bizarre amalgamation of. Elves from this world, elves from another world, humans, in all, and all sorts of crazy magic, which we will get to. And so that is, uh, again, th- me being a lore nerd, geek girl, you know, I, I don't know if it, p- it just seemed convenient to people in the show to have you know, the first major powerful female character be the one to give the Siri prophecy about the girl from the woods. But, you know, but Renfrey is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Like, let's put it this way. The sorcerers, the sorceresses, the enchantresses couldn't train or restrain or retrain Renfrey even if they wanted to. She would destroy them all. They'll have nothing to do with her. That's how much of a force of nature she is. And that's how much of a force of nature Siri is, which is why they need to bring together, you know, the Avengers of the Witcher world to try and save and help Siri going forward. And we are introduced to some of those avengers uh in, in this first season but does that all make sense in terms of yes it's telling a very interesting story just within the world but you're already building towards future characters and future stories uh, uh with, with renfrey or, or did it feel more disconnected in the book or is this going to be an impossible question going forward because it, it, everything in your brain is just kind of you know intermingling I think it all depends on the t- context like i'm sitting here and i'm looking at the tv show and to me 
I feel like the second episode was a better first episode. However, you cannot have it be the first episode because the second episode, if you don't have the first episode, it, it feels a little... You, you need the introduction to the character. Where with the book, you don't have that mirroring story. You just have the Strigger story. You don't have the Yennefer story mirroring along with it. So uh, the third episode with the Strigger story, not episode two. Um but even then, maybe if you did episode two first, it you you needed to do the lesser evil first, I think. But for me, it didn't feel like a. It, it felt more like a plot more than the first episode of a season. Not that that's a bad thing. Uh, it's just it to me, it's just like a a, a setup thing. Um, yeah, and that's but, that's but, what I was trying to say when I was saying my experience of it in the book was what you're describing, and they made it more relevant in the TV show. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but to me, I don't want to compare, but I think the, the Stigger story is a better introduction story than the lesser evil, but you have different contexts of the media, and I think them doing the meaning of the Stigger and Yennefer was absolutely brilliant. So to me, you know, that had to be a third episode just because of that meaning that they were doing. It couldn't be the first episode. Uh, but again, you just have those different medias. And before we get too sidetracked, I do want to talk about Green and True. Yeah, which is a story I completely remember nothing about, and I opened it up on my, my, my phone and iPad, and I was like, I have zero recollection of the story. I think I, 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 when I revisit now, Jetty Geek Girl, I know how much Witcher listening I have ahead of me, and so those first couple hours, I just kind of let um, Peter Ketty's voice and aura wash over me as I get into it, it but it's not until Nenica... Uh, is is at the temple with with, with Geralt and and uh, Dandelion, and they're reminiscing about the old days, and then back to the old days where I'm like, okay, I'm totally in. But Renfrey's memorable, and of course the Striga. Now, Tris, oh, I wanted to ask you very quickly about Tris Marigold. I mean, for the gamers out there, Tris Marigold is on par, at least with Yennefer, just in terms of coolness factor, uh, in terms of how she's portrayed in the game. In fact, in The Witcher 2, she is the like the sidekick of Geralt. I mean, they're going on adventure after adventure together in The Witcher 2. Uh, and, uh, you know, and they, I have tons of friends who, again, you know, try to get with Tris Marigold in the game instead of Yennefer because she's such a raging biatch. But, guys, sorry, in the canon, Geralt will always love Yennefer. It doesn't matter. Um, and, you know, again, as usual, guys, I'm, I will mention things that will be at the very beginning of next season. Is One of them is that immediately the Witchers invite Triss to Kermorin to help deal with the womenly issues of Ciri that they're completely incapable uh, of, of dealing with, these old ma- crazy ma- Witcher men. So they bring in Triss for magical reasons, but also just to help be like a mom. And that's why they made uh, Triss a, a much more motherly a girl uh, uh, than previous portrayals. She's still young, but she's older than Anya Chalotra, and they cast that woman to look way more maternal in this show because she's really going to be the mom uh, that just cares unconditionally. But, you know, in, in the books... She immediately is is attracted to Geralt, and they're in the books. They immediately hint that something's happened, but it doesn't happen really in the book. In these books, and so there's just tons of subtext. And this is what's so brilliant about the Witcher books is Sapkowski, on purpose or by accident, left all of these giant holes uh, for creativity to be filled in later. First by the video games, now by the TV series, and it's absolutely brilliant. And one of them is. 
what happened between Triss and Geralt? Because Geralt's constantly going years in, with not seeing Yennefer or whatever. And so I'm very curious. It, let's put it this way, Jay Geek Girl. Whether you're a fan of all the books and or the games, for them not to at least explore the fact that Triss and Geralt have had a thing or will have a thing together is completely impossible um, and would be against everything they've been trying to do. But in these books... As far as I remember, Triss Marigold is just, you know, a, a, a sweet, a powerful, but good-hearted wizard, right? It's been a while since I've read The Last Wish. What was your impression of, of a book version, book Last Wish version of Triss Marigold? Are we talking about the, the, last, the last Wish story? No, 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 sorry. The, uh, in, in the, the Striga story, the, the, you know, um, she's, in, she's in episode three, you know, with the, with the curly hair. She's the nature, she's nature magic woman, and she's like Yennefer's buddy. And, and they're talk in the last episode. She does the thing. She makes all the mushrooms grow that blow up, and then she puts the vines on the on the door, and she gets all burned burned up. Um, she's like the she's the other mother of series. She's the other like main character. But you, again, you can't tell. Oh, Jackie girl, this was my thing. I wanted to say in the beginning. I got to say now, which is guys, I haven't done an extensive historiography about the writing process of these books, meaning. I assume that he wrote The Last Wish and then he decided to go further with the characters in Sword of Destiny and then decided to go full on with, with the series saga. It seems impossible, Jedi Girl, just based on the time and the amount of books that he would have planned this all from the beginning, especially because, let's be honest, there's a lot of fairy tale stuff going on in The Last Wish and the Sword of Destiny, as we saw in season one of The Witcher on television. And I don't want to say that that kind of stuff completely goes away, guys, but it definitely gets more like dark fantasy going forward. Um, And things like genies and wishes and porcupine men uh, become less of a priority. And yet all of these stories, Jenna Geekle, set up everything important going forward, as as bizarre as they are. So my point is to the people out there, and to you, Jenna Geekle, is I haven't done a lot of research as to sort of what was going on in the author's head from here where he clearly just wants to be writing short stories in this world to the series saga which is a very 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 um a linear narrative um fantasy epic yeah i was just trying to recall i didn't know we were still on that story i i think his approach to how he wrote these short stories is actually brilliant because i think when you create a story that is very linear, and like like um, Lord of the Rings, for example, he built the world. You know, he invested before he made the main story. Where with the Witcher, as far as I know about it, you have these short stories, and then you have a linear. It, it's just great world building. You know, I, I thought that was quite brilliant of it, and I really appreciate it. So this is going to come up uh, when we talk about Dandelion versus Yaskier later, I think. But, um, you know, if, if Geralt, Yennefer, and Ciri are the big three, the, the, the number four and five off the bench in terms of the books and the video games and all the lore is number four would be, of course, Dandelion, and five is Triss. Um, but what I like is even though we needed Triss um, for episode three, where they do the Striga, um, it, again, though, a, a, as a reverse mirror 
to to Remfrey. If Remfrey is sort of the potential evil side of Yennefer, then Triss is the potential really good side of Yennefer, and that's why Triss is standing next to Yennefer, the council, and they're walking together. They spend all of the time together in the final episodes, Triss and Yennefer, because Yennefer's good side is finally starting to come out. Between Triss and Tessia, her teacher, they finally get the good side of Yennefer to come out at the end of the season. So they have Triss again as, as the mirror of the of sort of on the good shoulder uh, of of Yennefer or whatever. Um, and uh, she's never really a romantic threat to Geralt, but, you know, they're all attracted to him, and it, it continues throughout. Uh, it, you know, Yennefer is right to be it, to be jealous. For all her irrationality, guys, let's just say Yennefer is very much uh, rational and, and, and not totally wrong to be jealous uh, or, or, at times, but anyways, um, I was just curious about, about that because I, I like that they sort of made her like Triss was prominent in season one if you're a heavy book video game person and you're following Triss Marigold you're like oh this is even more Triss than I thought this is great with all the enchantresses and if not they're kind of you know building her up slower the problem with Dandelion is that Dandelion is immediately such a ginormous part of the everything with Geralt I mean it's the Geralt and Dandelion show starting with, with the edge of the world and all through the, the rest of the book and then all of next book it's the Geralt and Dandelion show and but but the show I think Jaggy Girl made the right calculation in saying we have so much Dandelion that we need going forward but we don't want to risk even if we do a little safe with him compared to the book, we don't want to risk annoying people on this character who might not be familiar with this sort of, you know, kind of archetypal uh, fantasy, you know, a uh, um, fairy tale character. Um, and, and, and the mischievous, arrogant, annoying, lovable troubadour bard guy or, or whatever. Um, and, and so they could slip in Triss a little bit easier, um, but they needed to make. Um, uh, Dandelion, aka Yaskier, a major part of the part of the season to humanize Geralt and engage him in society and try and you know reason with him. Um, but I think there's a reason that they are waiting to call him Dandelion because they're gonna unleash him at some point. But Triss, they could just sort of slide in. So you know, for those of you out there again who are unfamiliar with the property. You know, whether you like Triss Marigold or didn't even notice her in season one, she is going to be the, you know, front and center with Siri main story, a story for the first couple episodes of next season, um, before they can get Yennefer, uh, uh, on board the team, unless they radically restructure it. So that was a character to definitely revisit guys in the books and in the show. Should we? Oh, no, I, you need to talk about the, the story that I don't remember whatsoever. Give us, give us a little, uh, a little a recap, Jaggy Girl. Before I dive into it, sure. I would like to say that going into this story, I came off of a story that I really love, and obviously that's one featuring the Strigger. And as soon as I was following it, I realized that this was a story that I knew nothing about. And I really enjoy it. And for those who do not know, I would say it's a little bit, it's kind of like a twisted Beauty and the Beast where you have a, okay, the witcher comes across these bodies and these bodies lead him to a castle that is controlled by a beast who was cursed that has magical abilities to control the castle and things in the castle. We find out that he tries to find this person who he loves to break his curse. However, he never finds that woman and he 
accepts his beast side and he doesn't want it broken. And we find out that he is in love and he is with somebody, but we don't see her. The witcher leaves and the witcher caught on to how his horse was attracted, well, not really attracted, but, you know, attracted to the beast and how animals were attracted to the beast. And he's like, wait a, wait a minute here. And things on what they seem. Instead of him finding his love, his love is like this vampire figure who is manipulating him and trying for him to be this beast that she wants. It's very twisted. And I thought it was very interesting because it, it wasn't really a story that I never really seen before and it was one I knew nothing about where it was going and it was a nice ride seeing this and like I said it's very twisted because you know you think Beauty and the Beast but you never picture or maybe there might be a version of Beauty and the Beast where this is the case but you don't picture where the Beast is being manipulated by the quote unquote beauty. Yeah it's stories like these that make me think he, he was always planning uh, I'm sorry, he was planning in his brain initially, the writer Andrzej Sapkowski, Jagged Girl, to just write short stories or maybe novellas in this world, right? I mean, he, he could have, let's put it this way, he clearly has the creativity and brain power to, you know, make a story after story from this world in this sort of way. And I think that's why I always tell people that the, my two favorite books are The Last Wish and The Sword of Destiny, even though I'm not a short story person. But that's also making me so excited about the TV series because now I don't have to worry so much about my, you know, OCD, neurotic, oh, is it going to be loyal or not? Spoiler alert, guys. The first season of The Witcher in the Bizzle's opinion is more loyal than any fantasy or sci-fi property of this caliber is in a TV or film form. By far more loyal than Lord of the Rings, in in my opinion, especially after the Fellowship of the Ring uh, in the movies. Uh, it's, it's just my general thought. We'll get back to that because, Jagger, we got to get to question the price and the last wish um, and, and the edge of the world. I mean, we got the main ones ahead of us, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, he could have just kept writing short stories in this world of, of this sort. Exactly. And like I said, it was great world building before he drove in, dive into this, before he drove into this longer narrative. And it's very smart to me if you were building a world because you are introducing all these pieces of the world and creatures and aspects that yeah sure you'll introduce them through a linear narrative but like I said you're you're, you're building up the world and stuff like that Mm. and I would like to say that Dandelion or Dundarian as he's called in this book I think is how it's pronounced yeah they, Uh, they, they had some uh there's some Polish to English things um uh, and deciding whether to call him Dandelion or Dandelion, I, I don't know the root. Ultimately, they do settle in the audiobooks on Dandelion, which is what we all know him as, as readers and or video game players. But yes, Dandelion is interchangeable and perfectly uh, acceptable. Sorry, go ahead. Well, in the book, he's called Dandelion, which I was looking forward to dandelion so it took me a little bit to be like oh okay this is the same character because i was looking i was you know listening for a different name but i really like how much of a smart ass he is in this book he's an arrogant prick and but exactly what Geralt needs and another reason to get girl sort of destiny is that sort of destiny there's numerous stories where Geralt really, really um, 
needs Dandelion to get his head straight to act like a human being and not an animal, essentially. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the, the building up of the, he will never shut up. He will constantly get them in trouble. He'll act like a coward, but then he'll be brave. And I'll want, I mean, you know, they, the reason you build up a character like this, Jedi Geek Girl, and this is why I, I the comparison so far to, to Jazz here is not fair because you have so much more time already in the last wish, and then sort of doesn't. There's like even twice as much Dandelion because it's Dandelion and Geralt pretty much the whole time um, until the series stuff later on. There's not a lot of Yennefer in, in the Sword of Destiny either, um, and uh, it is you need that guy in his life. But in the book, you have so much more time to you know to flesh that out and, and so when he gets irrationally brave later in the series at times he's like Gerald I'm not gonna leave you and Daryl's like what are you talking about you can't fight you can't do anything he's like I, I know but I, I'm not leaving you like he just you know deep down he, he ends up being so loyal and he ends up loving Siri like the rest of them that's why he's I, you know I always say guys he's, he's gonna be part of the family if you can't tell he's either part of the family I will say Jiggy Girl the driving away of Yaskier in the TV show was a little forced in, um, but once again because he was pushing Geralt's buttons about Yennefer being an evil bitch it, it is the last time Geralt wanted to hear it from him and that, it made sense in terms of the characters in the show and in terms of the books like if 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 Dandelion pulled something like that in the books, Geralt would react like that in the books, and so I'm totally was fine with that. And they needed to make him sympathetic because, as I said, they had to make Geralt actually less mature in some ways uh, in the TV show season one. Then he's already kind of a wise old moralistic guy, right? And if you want to lead into Edge of the World with, with, with Dandelion, his, you know his long speech and moral philosophical debate with the elves in the goat creature and so forth shows that that sort of wisdom i guess of Geralt. i i i have to say diving into that story that i love the goat creature i love how they did they see him first as this lesser lesser creature and this goat is like doing it right back into their face and he's like oh i'll show you balls and he takes balls and he chucks it at it it just that just really was really entertaining. I, I wasn't really expecting that. Like you, you expect this encounter with this creature that is quote, quote unquote less than, but it, this creature, quote unquote creature is not less than, you know, it's a perfectly yeah. sentient being that is capable. He understands what you're saying. He doesn't like being looked on. doesn't like being mocked. You know, he's an equal thing and he's just going to throw it into your face. I, I just thought that was really funny. Yeah, and, and there's a moment in, I believe there's a moment in the book where Geralt's brain flips and he realizes the, how intelligent the monster is, right? Yes. And what does he do? What does he do? He immediately starts working him as if he was working, a, 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 you know, a criminal associate in the case and he's a detective, right? He starts working the go creature and by the end of the story, the go creature is trying to stop his masters, the elves, from harming these people because of how, you know, that's the thing. It's like, yes, Geralt's hot, a hot witcher for the women, but he's just generally, you know, charismatic for, for what he is. And when, but especially with these creatures, 
uh, inside of society. And Jaggy Girl, again with the show, you know, in my commentary, um, uh, by the way, Jaggy Girl, I said, uh, even though I don't love the Strig episode because I'm just not a horror person in general, but I said the, the episode I was most disappointed with was the second one because it was so much Yennefer backstory, which I love, but it wasn't nearly enough the entire Edge of the World story. And I thought they should have done episode two without Yennefer, actually. I, I, like, I would have split two and three. I would have done just Geralt and, and Dandelion in episode two, and then literally given the, Yennefer the entire episode three, with maybe a little Geralt and Ciri, but not at all. Because they're doing eight episodes at once, you know, and releasing it all at once. Like, why not do that? You know, Breaking Bad does stuff like that. Like, other Wire does stuff like that. Um, but you know, that's, that's a little experimental, I guess. But, um, would you agree though that the, the tenor, um, uh, and the tone of the debate between Geralt and, and the, and the elf, um, uh, as well as the go creature, but specifically Geralt and the elf, um, uh, who's very, very bitter and vengeful. Would you agree that the sort of tenor in the show was very reflective of what was going on in the book? But in the book, we just get the entire long debate, which is so interesting. Well, obviously, when you translate something from book to TV to a TV show, there's going to be some things that are lost, a shift or something, and you can't watch a TV show with a 10-minute debate like you can listen to in the book. Well, well, you could, but I don't think they're not going to do it just because of everything that they fit in the show. I, I, I don't know I, if, if, you know, combining them was a good thing, but, you know, that they were also trying to build these characters, and I, that, that, to me, I don't think they had room to separate those two episodes or separate one episode and combine the other one with the other. To me, I, 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 don't, I don't see it. But, but I definitely get it, because it seems like this story uh, was, I don't want to say different, but it did lose a little bit to the translation to the, to the TV show, not as much as The Last Witch, the last wish. I thought I looked up. I thought the last wish had a lot in it that didn't transfer over to the TV show that I really appreciated because it was different. Oh, that's like interesting. That, I think the last wish was was it was more one to one. Again, though, there's so much more time in the book, right? And just in general, than in the TV show. Right, but obviously in the TV show, you don't see the gin. You see the gin in the book. You also get this epic nature. Of the gen, you know, um, Yennefer fighting the gen and the gen being, uh, you know, above the building, and you have this lore expanded upon how there's these different attribute gens based on each one of the four, like earth, wind, fire, uh, air, and the type of gen it is, and. In the TV show, obviously, you know, you see the wishes granted, but in the book, you know, there's no clue except when the second one happens. It's, to me, I really appreciate it, so. All right. Here's time for a sidebar about lore, okay? Yeah. So, I think if Star Wars continues to have problems or there's just an extended problematic period... People will look back on the decision of canon as being the the fatal flaw of, of, of the experiment. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of Witcher fans 
like people hardcore game and our book fans who really like the show. There's a lot who really don't like the show, and then there's a lot in the middle who are still waiting to see for later seasons, and they're keeping it up in mind or not or whatever, which is fine. I don't really care. I loved it. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but the reason I loved it is some, is exactly the reason other people didn't like it, which is I specifically wanted this to be different enough that it would not be confused with book lore. And Jay Geek Girl, this is furthered by the fact that even though the video games are considered by fans almost to be canon because they are so loyal and because they take place in the future, you know, they're the episode 7, 8, 9 or whatever of the original trilogy, essentially. We can get, you know, an older Triss, an old Yennefer, an older Geralt, older Siri. And see where that goes, but it's so loyal to the world, and the fact that Henry Cavill is really playing Geralt from the video game as much or more, just vocally, performance-wise, than Geralt from the book, which I want to ask you about with his long speeches and stuff, which Henry Cavill's version is never going to do. The violence is totally taken from the video game. You know, he hangs the heads of the creatures he kills on Roach's saddle and stuff. I mean, that's all straight from. The fucking video games. And so what I'm saying is, Witcher fans are already um, not only accustomed to, but acculturated into not having a contradiction in their brain between the fact that this can all work together, but there's also going to be contradictions, and we're just going to let there be contradictions and not have, you know, endless lore debates. Um, and have this be what, you know, supposedly Star Wars is, right? Which is a retelling of a retelling of a retelling, like all myth, you know, is because Witcher's fantasy, I guess, but also, you know, folk myth, um, there's not this oppressiveness of lore. And and honestly, the fan's biggest complaint, like the hardcore nerd dudes was that the Nilfgaardian's black armor wasn't badass enough in the first season, and they fired the fucking costume designer, and Lauren Hissrick, Lauren Hissrick came out and specifically outlined how they were going to restructure the Nilfgaardian armor to be more the black and gold evilness from the book. I mean, that's how much they care about this material, but, like, that's what fans care about, Janky Girl, and, and, you know, maybe there will be canon debates I guess what I'm saying is the fact that there was a love of the books and the games already as these two huge source materials, and we already knew that they weren't official canon even though they work together, has already conditioned us to accepting a TV series which has different interpretations of what's going on, I I guess is what I'm saying. Did any of that make sense? Yeah, completely. And like I said, I don't see it as a bad thing. Like I said, they complement each other. And I like the fact that I can listen to the book and get aspects of the mythology and the story that is different from the TV show and watch the TV show and see stuff expanded upon that isn't expanded upon in the book due to the media format, if that makes any sense. Because I feel like listening to the stories, the action scenes, it seemed like were a little bit shorter than what they were in the TV show. Like it wasn't a beat for beat move for move translation and I think that is part of the difference in the visual and different between the two mediums and I like I said I found them complementing each other to me though I like that expanded nature of the story in the books but that doesn't mean that I find conflicts between the two of them if that makes any sense I appreciate the expanded nature of the books but I also appreciate being able to see 
you know, the TV show and stuff like that. So I was just commenting how I found that really all interesting and the fact that we actually saw the djinn, you know, the witcher fought, if you can call it a fight, uh, the djinn in the beginning after the djinn is let loose and we actually see the djinn. I think it was a great, brilliant decision not to show the djinn in the TV show. So I, I just, I, I appreciate the, the Nate because I feel like, I feel like if you did it in a TV show, it wouldn't have matched what was in your head and it would have been very underwhelming, which is a good thing that they didn't show it in a TV show because it's that fine line of special effects that are, you know, they sell you on it and then it looks very cheesy and out of place and you can't take it seriously. So I, I was just saying that I, I appreciate the decision, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, what's brilliant about <clears throat> what's laid out in the books and realized in the games is the silver sword, which is that you can basically hack at any uh, monster creature, um, you know, whether it's a lower spirit or a higher demon with your silver sword. You carry steel to murder people and you carry silver. Mostly you're taking down monsters or whatever. It would still look weird to fight a genie. And as I told you, in the game, you are once again negotiating and working with the genie, not fighting it. So yes, that would have been, that would have looked weird and not made sense with the, with the, uh, mythos, I think. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 Completely. I, I just appreciate that, the difference. That's all I'm saying. So let's talk about it. You want, okay. So. <laughs> This question of price and last wish. I'm not closing the door on anything else. I'm certainly not closing the door on Dandelion and Geralt. Other than I think Jedi Girl, as I've been saying all these months, and now you can confirm, you really there's nothing you can say to anyone who wants to know more other than read the stories with Geralt and, 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 and Dandelion because they're pure gold. But there's no way to describe it. You just have to experience it for yourself. I think reading the book after watching the TV show was, I'm not saying it They're was... They're a married couple. The, They're like a married couple who are already are always arguing. It's fantastic. Sorry. <laughs> right. Um, no, yeah. No, no, I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your throat. Go ahead. You're saying after the TV show? Yeah, I, I was saying that reading the book after watching the TV yes. show. Yes. I'm not saying that that's the best way to do it, but I really appreciate it because like I said, you watch the TV show, then you listen to the book and you have the expansive view where if you did it vice versa, I'm not going to say if that's wrong or not, but obviously you have a different perspective yep. and maybe you would be trying to compare to the TV show, to yep. the book, if you read the book first, where if you watch the TV show first, then read the book, it, it, it you have a different expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for me, I think it was a good idea that I watched the TV show, then read the book, uh, just because of the difference in media. Uh, but but I, I, like you said, you came to it through the video games, right. which is different. So, so, so right, so... So I, I'm Jennifer's dark but amazing in the Witcher games, and so you know, you know, meeting her the whole time again. This is way before the TV show. I'm reading the book like a year, year and a half ago or whatever. I'm like, last wish. She's so horrible in the book, right? I mean, Jennifer is bitchy as she could be at the show. Jennifer, the last wish at the book is pretty fucking horrible. I I agree 100, percent and I absolutely ate it up. I loved it. Right, which makes the hunchback reveal even more effective, and the fact that he's in love with her irrationally even more effective. It does, but coming to it after the TV show, you don't have that level of right because you get the origin because story. you already know. Yes. Yeah, I mean, look, 
JG Curl, the biggest victory in terms of the non-haters of season one is that nobody's complaining that Yennefer was the lead of season one, even though she's an important but kind of side character in the early short story books as a love interest and becomes famous in the series saga and super famous in the video games. And so what I'm saying is, so okay, so what's the like the longest series of books you've ever read before? Harry Harry Potter? Like I don't know what you read. Like what's the like the longest series of a single thing you've read? Um, I didn't do a lot of reading up until I got back into Star Wars. Anything growing up? I mean, you know, it like uh, I, I I read a book and a half Lord of the Rings, but that's not much. Okay, let's just, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. You grow. You're growing up right now. And you see the the Ray the the, the Raylo trilogy. Let's just call it what it is, Jedi Geek Girl. It's the Raylo trilogy, right? I mean, if there's anything great about the trilogy, it's Ray and Kylo, or Kylo and Ray. Yeah, just just don't tell the fandom menace that. Well, okay. Well, here's here we go. So you're you're growing up, and you see Ray and Kylo, and you're like, oh, who's this old lady Leia and this these old men men Luke and Han and everything, and then you see the fucking Phantom Menace. And that's it, okay? That's exactly my experience of going from The Witcher 3 back to The Last Wish. I'm, I'm all the way at the furthest future, and then all the way at the furthest past, and though nothing in the middle. And this is going to come up in the question of price, because, Jake Girl, th- what was spoiled to me as a Witcher 3 player about The Last Wish was just that I was going to end up liking Yennefer, and so no matter how horrible the situation was, or she was, I knew she would eventually come around because I saw the late development of her character, the fact that everyone loved Yennefer, even though I hadn't read the books yet, I'm like, I know I'm going to end up loving this character if she's eventually going to turn it around, and so it makes it better. If, But, like, I told you last time, I, I know people, mostly women, some who really are not bought on the Yennefer character, on the TV show, yeah, I think she's pretty horrible. You know, I, I, I can't see that, but my, my point is, the fact that no one was complaining that they made Yennefer the lead of season one, being not really in the books, uh, nearly as Dandelion and Geralt, um, but, or even in terms of importance as, as Ciri, um, I, you know, is, is as much of a victory as anything else. And so I was sort of spoiled on her personality, but just to start working it in with a question of the price, which is my favorite short story, maybe ever, um, and uh, is my favorite episode of the series because of, in all of the important ways it's loyal, and in all of the ways that it diverges, it's still loyal, in my opinion. But Jaggy Girl, I know who Dooney is. I knew who I know who Dooney is. You don't know who Dooney is. Most people don't. I, I ruined it in my my commentaries to some people. I apologize. I got great hits, but if I ruin to you who Dooney the Hedgehog really is, uh, I apologize. Um, but let's just say I I knew who Series Daddy eventually was, and now we know who Series Daddy was in the beginning. Who's a good-looking chap after he, t- you know, well, I guess he's good-looking as the Hedgehog too, but <laughs> slightly more good-looking after the Hedgehog. But Jake Girl, so I was totally spoiled on that, but it didn't ruin the story for me because that story is about Calanthe and Geralt, right? And that's why I love the story so much is, is is the crazy back and forth between Calanthe and Geralt. Before I dive into that story, I want to wrap up a little bit of The Last Witch. And I was talking to you through I Am while I was listening to it. I really appreciate Invisible Yennefer 
in the hot tub scene. And that's another one of those things that they couldn't transfer over without it being kind of silly and people dismissing it. And you really appreciate the way that it was done in the TV show. But I absolutely love the fact that, oh, instead of turning away, I'm just going to make myself invisible. And then you got those glances of, you know, looking at the soap on her body that, you know, for a time being shows her shape. And then, of course, you have the fight where it's a lot more, it feels like it's a lot more sexually tense in the book more than it is the TV show. You think? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was like messaging you. I'm like, this is really kinky, yeah. you know? But, uh, yeah. yeah, 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 I th- yeah, yeah. I, look, look, they make jokes about him being her man meat in the show because he's Henry Cavill, you know? And, of course, I mean, in the show, she's immediately sexually attracted to him and is making innuendo left and right. Does the watcher not suit? She's, J.K. Girl, side note. Anya Chalotra, Jennifer in the television show. Let's just take this opportunity. I mean, mm-hmm. 23-year-old person of color who, has, again, with essential European folk mythology, this could have been a big problem, especially with the lack of credentials. But, I mean, from, from moment one, there's not a moment in that show where she's just not completely nailing it. And I think Henry Cavill, you know, it was clearly on board from the beginning that, you know, they would be each other's sidekicks uh, because that is how it's going to be in the series anyways. <laughs> we spend as much time with Yennefer and, and those kind of people as, as Geralt very soon in terms of the book, so why not get it going here? Um, but I want to ask you, was there any way that you could remove yourself from Yennefer's whole backstory while you were reading it and then you get to the story of The Last Wish at least it's some part of your brain. It's like, oh, I've actually not met Yennefer this whole time till now, right? Well, she has mentioned earlier in the book, and I already ran into it. No, I, I couldn't divorce myself because I already like the character, you know. I, I She's did, mentioned by did. Tris because they're buddies, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I couldn't. So there was a moment when it was brought up that the sorcerers, sorceress and they give up something to gain their power and i'm like if you went into it blind you're probably like wondering what that is and what she was before she got her power obviously watching the tv show you know that she used to be a hunchback and stuff like that and another thing that i really enjoy about this story is i feel like watching the tv show i didn't really understand that the third witch wish tied their fate together where in the book i felt it was that was a lot more clear uh because before it happened you had these characters talking about how okay that's how they would get out of that situation here's what i understand lauren hendrick's my golden goddess everyone involved the show's is almost as perfect is is could have been done in such a crazy situation but why, oh, why, Jedi Geek Girl, did they not do the mind meld where he had the direct vision of her being a hunchback? They could have easily flipped in a few quick images when they were kissing or whatever, right? Of of uh, of him having a vision of that TV show. I've watched closely now three times. Maybe I'm missing it, and it's very fast. But I, I don't understand. You're having a mind meld, and he specifically is... Falls, I think the TV show gives the wrong impression because he specifically falls in love with the thing that Istrid falls in love with, which is pre-surgery Yennefer. They, they fall in love with good-hearted, uh, quote-unquote, ugly Yennefer. That's the thing they fell in love with that she loses sight of, in which, again, once I read that, and then going way forward informed her character. But I have to say, Jay Geek Girl, and this is a very this non-spoiler comment, but... 
if there's anything in The Last Wish that is completely incongruous with um, what, what goes forward, it's the introduction of Yen- The Last Wish book is the introduction of Yennefer in The Last Wish story. She's still kind of crazy when it comes to the dragons and stuff in The Sword of Destiny, which, of course, you know, is later in Season 1, and we get the dragon story uh, with the golden dragon and, and the dwarves and everything. In the book, Sword of Destiny, which is my personal favorite, guys, if you want to know, Sword of Destiny's personal favorite. Um, but um, did I, we both love Yennefer, and you understand the intricacies of her, and you recognize that she's a good guy and trying to be more of a good guy. But what what did the book um, version? Uh, l- let's be honest. Uh, what I was saying before was, and you also talk about with the fighting. It's clear he's like her sex slave in the in the book, right? I mean, she can do whatever she wants with him. And for an old Polish white guy to have this kind of you know gender relationship in a fantasy setting already in the first book, I just absolutely loved. Like I I, I was reveling in Yennefer. being horrible at at that point you know just just to see it on the page yeah you 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 have this powerful character that can take whatever she wants and yeah it's just really draws you into the character i think so you would have really liked her whether she whichever way she had gone in the series but I have to imagine there was a part of you that was relieved when it seemed like, yeah, okay, Yennefer is going to be a good guy. This is going in an okay direction, right? Well, like I said last episode, her origin story fits into a trope that leads to it her being a villain. That's why I thought she was going to be a villain. And then as episodes gone on, you saw that, okay, this is not how this story is going because you see her more human side. You know, you see... Her motivations, you know, and that, that's another thing. We don't know what her motivations are in Last Wish. We know what they are in the TV show, but in the, in Last Wish, we don't know. Mm, and she doesn't really have motivations yet in the TV show, other than being powerful and in control. No, she 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 wanted the genie because she wanted to have children. She wanted to repair. Well, no, that is talked about in the book. Never mind. Um, but but I don't think it's made clear that that the main reason why she That's wanted what to she be in the book. She really just wants power, though, and they do talk about that in both the book and the and the show. That it's ultimately about power. You know, I mean, she specifically gave up that right in her life to have the surgery, and immediately she wants it back. That's a that's a classic display of 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 power desire. You know what I mean? And you know, as I've talked about in previous podcasts, Yennefer's power leads to her vanity, and her vanity leads to her power, and it's hard to know which one goes which. You know, I mean, I, I mean, you're not wrong, but at the same token, having, I mean, it's just that whole classic moral debate of is having a child or wanting to have a child is that selfish? Because you don't ultimately have a child for the child; you have a child because you want to, unless it's an accident. So I, I don't think I don't think it's that clear. I mean, obviously there's a power element to it, but there's also a a um a nature aspect to it because most human beings, most women, do have that desire. So to me, that that felt very real. So even though it is power to have the power to have children is still, you know, she still has that motherly instinct. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. I'm telling you, she also wanted the power of a genie, the way that Jafar wanted the power of the genie in Aladdin. I mean, 
when you you'll read all the stuff coming up and the video game i mean she wants powers and one of the cool things about the video game jackie girl is the enchantresses are the coolest part i mean not just tris and um uh and yennefer but franchella uh the the Af- the um african bad guy uh enchantress uh and some of the other ones we've met and some of the ones we haven't met as well are the coolest part of the game you everything having to do with siri and the enchantresses of the video game is like amazing um and but they always want something else they always want something you know, more. There's, and that's the thing about The Witcher is it doesn't have a, all the depressing endings every single chapter like Game of Thrones, but there's always a catch. You never get off scot-free in The Witcher. And that's what I like because that's true to reality. Go ahead. You know, I like I said, I can agree with you when it comes to the book. I think it's a lot more clear in the book. But when it comes to the TV show, I get a little different interpretation. Okay, go ahead. Um, and, and and I think that has to do a lot with the the show lead being a woman, where you you you, you get those. It, it's it's a lot more evident that that is the case, whether or not that is in in intent. I just think it's well, when you have a show lead who lines up with the character. Usually, how that character would be is made clear to the show lead, you know, doing that character. So I, I just think it was just a matter of the interpretation of the show lead defining that character. That's why I took a different takeaway when we're talking about TV show. Where in a book, I don't think you, I don't think you're wrong. That's not what I'm arguing. I'm just saying in a TV show, I just have a different interpretation. Not that power is not a aspect of it. I just. You know, right, and, and this is the whole point: is that they told these stories, in, in my opinion, as loyally as could be done. I think in most cases, and yet they were still pushing the central narrative forward. And mm-hmm. as I talk about in my commentary, not only what Gerald and, and uh, Yennefer uh, and Ciri are going through, but also Triss, but also people like Vilgefortz and Tessia and Franchilla and some of the sort of mysterious Delphardian characters like Kahir, who in the book is called Kahira. It's very complicated. Some of these pronunciations is causing the Bizzle lots of headaches and problems. <laughs> I, but, uh, but anyways, but, uh, to, to, to set this stuff forward and, and Jay Giger, what, what I, I, you know, as just a tease, I think something that, let's put it this way. Via process of elimination, you see the show, right? And then now you read the chapters in the last way. So by process of elimination, you can say, okay, they specifically added this to the show. And you're going, why did they add this mm-hmm. to the show? Mostly it's to push the story forward. So I think you, you by reading this, my guess is in, you're getting some clues to what's – non-spoiler clues to what's coming, seeing the contrasting views of that. I could be wrong. So number one, I want to say that her interpretation – and I'm, I'm sorry to show – draw on this but i thought it was very relatable i think you can attribute it to things that you see in real life you have these people who want the power of a successful career and they want to achieve the social status however they cannot fight this natural instinct to procreate or have a family however due to the power that they attributed to their social status they're unable to achieve that i think that's very relatable socially another thing is and we had the same thing with the mandalorian when you have a person who is different interpret the story different things come across that's just how that's why people want stories told by diverse creators because everybody has a different lens of how they look through the thing and for me i think 
me reading that into the character and that coming off in the show is because of the show lead and who she is. That is why that is carried over. And that is why I'm picking up on that where if you had somebody else, you might not have had that. Not that that's wrong or right. But just like the Mandalorian, the episodes with the characters that were directed by women, you feel like the Baby Yoda Mandalorian character dynamic was a lot more intimate than what we got with the, the men directors. That just doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just a different lens of perspective. And but maybe just, just me. And I think that is why it was a good thing that you had to show lead being who she is, director series, because you had a a a um a, a female layer to the story that you didn't have before. Not that there's anything wrong with the original interpretation. I'm just saying that's what I took away from the TV show. And then, like I said, I found no, it relatable personally. So. I would look. I was raving about Anya Chalotra many months before that aired. I was like, "This, this is going to be an amazing portrayal." Again, they're pulling from tons of lore that's already done. Jaggy girl, I guess what I've been saying is, as opposed to Star Wars, which everything is based on the movies, and then they try and pull lit- literature from it, it doesn't really happen because they're just blockbuster movies. Or Game of Thrones, which was a completely unfinished series, and it was kind of half baked. I mean, if you look at the five, so they only he only published five Game of Thrones books, but only the first three have good reviews. Everyone hates the fourth and the fifth, and then he just stopped. Whereas this is done. This was finished twenty years ago. Lady of the Lake was was published in nineteen ninety nine in Europe. Um, and so you know what I mean. And, and so whether we as readers or watchers are conscious of it, they're able to pull from all of this lore, right? Which makes, let's be honest, a giant uh, like orgy fest mixed with the genie and the three wishes completely digestible. You're like, yeah, sure, this makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, and I think one, that's one of the great things about these stories and Lord of the Rings is the sexy, story super is, sexy, is, and not sexy in Lord of the Rings. Sorry, it, it it's it's done. It's cemented. You know, it's not new stories. You know, the story has it always been told from beginning to end, and then you can add layers to it. But at the end of the story, at the end of the day, the story is sure. the same. Where you didn't have the problem that you had with the sequel trilogy, which you know you had to make a story from scratch. You weren't interpreting something, and sometimes that creates problems especially with different creators and stuff like that and I think that's why these stories they they, they translate so well obviously Richard and Lord of the Rings are different but Lord of the Rings being completed and you know you already had the story told well, that's, I think that's why those movies were so successful uh, one of the reasons why they were so successful in the early arts and I think that's one of the reasons why the Witcher is working so well because you had the story that is already complete and you're not telling a story from scratch compared to Game of Thrones, where you had the opposite problem, where you had a story that was already, you know, in the progress of being told, and then you tried to retell the story, and you came to a situation where you had to go a direction that didn't go in line with the books, and to bring it around to Full Metal Alchemist, that's one of the problems I had with the first TV show, is the first TV show, Full Metal Alchemist, is very loyal up until you get halfway to the story, and then the TV show, when it's on direction, which is totally different than the TV show, uh, which is totally different than the manga compared to the second series, which is more loyal to the source material, because the source material was already completed, it was better done because you weren't trying to make things up. So, as we get into the question of price, uh, you know, everything's still still on the table. Um, it must be said, uh, Jake Girl, that, you know, Yennefer Geralt 
like spiritually, Yennefer, Geralt, Dandelion, and Ciri are, is what the entire entire series is about. And that's whenever he occasionally revisits The Witcher to do short stories, it mostly involves Yennefer, uh, Dandelion, and, and Geralt. Um, that being said. If they do what I think they're going to do next season, which is all of Blood of Elves in the first half of Time of Contempt, which is where the cataclysm happens with, with everything going on, with Vilgaforts and everything, just a tease, guys, but things go really bad at some point for the good guys, just a tease, and they're going to do it at the end of next season. Geralt and Yennefer take kind of a backseat to Ciri and also, like, King Faltest and, like, some of the nobles and some of the, you know, Emperor Emir from Nilfgaard, uh, uh, but, but Vilgefortz and some of the male sorcerers and the other, you know, Patrice and Franchilla. And so it'll be interesting after they've groomed the superstar lead who wasn't supposed to be a lead of the first season, who was amazing as Yennefer and Anya Chalotra. That'll be a real test for them in like season three and four, where the team is really split and there's lots of awesome side characters. I think they're going to nail it, and they they nailed it with so many great side characters in this one. And part of the reason I love a question of price is Queen Calanthe is my MVP of the season, but also Iced and the guy who plays Dooney and, and like all the major characters and even Pavetta side characters. Everyone is absolutely spectacular. It's almost like in the show, it, uh, it, it's almost like Geralt is there for the ride, and, and the book is is sort of the same thing as as you know Calanthe is both praising and threatening uh, Geralt either back and forth or at the same time. You know this is my favorite and that was one I was looking forward to the most in the show. They absolutely nailed it. Some of my favorite characters. I will say again, I know who series dad ends up being. I, I don't think it's going to be a big surprise to people when they find out, um, but I know who Dooney the Hedgehog dude is, uh, but it did not make it any less effective of the story. And, and in fact, that uh, just to throw it to you with question of price, uh, you will attest to the fact that the actual Hedgehog Pavetta part is pretty minor compared to the discussions between uh, the extensive discussions between Geralt and uh, Calanthe in, in the question of price. Personally, I prefer the TV show interpretation over the book version of sure. it. I, I felt like how Calanthe was in the TV show was a lot more evident. She was a lot more resistant to it than she was in the book. I obviously loved the part where the Witcher was like, okay, the law of surprise. And obviously you seek... Uh, the mother, you know, throw up and you're like, and then he's like, oh crap, where it was a little bit more subtle in the book, whatever. I just like that, you know. And another aspect that I like with the TV show is how often the, the F word is used, where in the book it's like he's just cursed or whatever. I just thought that was, a, was an aspect to the character that I really appreciate that they had in the, the TV show, where in the book you don't have that aspect. Yeah, I don't. Just the book, just the book version of it. Obviously, this is the first book. Mm -hmm. This is a story that leads into things in the future that will be tied into other things. But just the story themselves, I don't think this was my one of my favorites in the book, but it's one of my favorite in the TV show. Yeah, and again, I think uh, part of the reason I was so open to this uh, when I first read it, again, I, I, I disagree strongly with what you said about uh, the Calanthe being different. Um <laughs> Yes, she doesn't try and stab him in the gut. Yes. But but also in the final episode of the TV series, they try kill Geralt three times instead of just one. You know? I mean, part of that's just television. But the, but the main thing was that 
the personality of Calanthe as being noble and honorable, but also kind of psychotic and bipolar, I thought was extremely well represented by the actress who played her, Jodie May, in the TV series. And again, like with the discussion with the Go creature and the elves, they distilled it, this big, long philosophical discussion, into a little ball. And that's why you needed... Henry Cavill to play the video game version of Geralt more than the book version so that he can convey a lot of this without long, uh, you know, conversations. But in the book, there is this very much jagged girl, you know, oh, I have great respect for you, Witcher, but if you screw things up, I'm going to... Like, it's... Even though she doesn't threaten um, in such a dramatic and long way, uh, do need the, in in the book. Yes, like the series. Nevertheless, she's constantly trying to make Geralt appreciate her position of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely got that way with the uh, the novel version, and you had that long conversation, like you were you were saying, which the book does so well. I guess. I also, sorry, also having known and loved older Siri and knowing a good deal of Siri's life story, this being the conception of both Siri and the Siri prophecy as already a guy who was a Siri fan coming into The Last Wish initially, loved how absolutely bizarre and crazy it is, you know, as I've said, it's almost like an X-Men mutant thing going on. I love, it's totally perfect for Siri, but if you're just reading it, I mean, you of course have met Siri, and I want to talk about Siri next as we bridge into the the final section and sort of the bigger issues here, Um, and so I'm seeing it through that lens, because normally I don't like the Beauty and the Beast stuff or whatever, but I loved the subtle negotiation between all the sides and specifically Geralt, and I think him sort of... He throws love surprise even more casually in the TV series than in the book, which I'm actually okay with. Should be said, Jedi Geek Girl, in the book, he actually asks for a male to be a witcher, uh, I believe. Um, can you say that again? He, he, asks for, he wants a male child in the book to, so he can have him to be a witcher. Uh, he might have. I don't remember it. Yeah, he he because he, in the book, so in 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 the show, you know, uh, they sort of ask him together, like what they can do, whatever, blah blah blah. He says, "Oh, love surprise," and then she throws up, and they're like, "Oh my god, it's the child." And the book, um, uh, it's actually Dooney the Hedgehog, who's now you know the the man version of Dooney, um, who asks Geralt. Uh, you know, no, we, we need to get, give you something else. And he says, okay, law of surprise, child to be a witcher. You know, our, our people are dying. You know, there's not many of us left or whatever. And so yep. should you give birth to, to a child? Cha- and in some ways that makes Geralt smarter, but also more manipulative. But what I love, Jaggy Girl, and this is where the loyalty comes in, is in both the book and the, the show, Calanthe recognizes immediately the problem that this is going to cause because yep. of the, the elder blood of the children. And, and, and I, remember I was doing the commentary after not having seen episode four for a few days or whatever. And I was like, and I was describing this exact scene in the book. And I was like, Calanthe is, is the first one to recognize how much of a bigger deal this is than anyone, including Geralt. And they nailed that in the book and they nailed that in the show. And so for me, that just locked it all up. No, you're absolutely right. Now, now that you are talking about it, I remember it. Plus, she's so amazing in the show, you know? And so, you know, I mean, 
it, it, it's it, she's such a great character and so representative of the tragedy of the nobles and, and the leaners uh, in uh, in the Witcher world. Um, so uh, I, I I have some sort of you know to close this out bigger questions about the, the book experience and, and how it relates to what's going forward. But I want to open the floor for you to bring up things from stories we talked about and want to go back to or. Um, or whatever. Oh, no, I was just going to say, is, is there, is, are there any specifics, uh, in the stories that we didn't get to that you, you wanted to mention as, as a highlight of, of uh, the experience? Oh, how did you find Peter Kenny in general as the, as the, uh, as a narrator? I really enjoyed it. It was really easy to kind of pick up on the differences he did for the characters. There was a couple of moments where one wasn't quite sure which character was talking, but I thought it was sure. a great performance. I thought the, like I said, the goat, the goat. I I just love the goat, and I love the little, uh, the noise that the goat makes was was definitely hilarious. Like if you take it out of context, it sounds a little, uh, I don't know a polite word to say it, but the way he was done it in context. Oh, it's was, grating like, and really annoying as hell, but it's a brilliant vocal performance. Yeah, it's it's like the ook 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 ook. Thing. Yeah, it, it, no, but but the goat's specifically supposed to annoy you to distract from the fact of how smart he is. Right, I, I just really appreciate it. I, yeah, I totally. Like no, when you texted me, I, like I I had the, the the full version of what you were saying came out immediately because that's how I experienced it too. I, it's something I I always think I'm gonna fast forward through, I, but I never do because I want to hear the performance. Yeah, it, it's just so brilliant. Yeah, I thought he did a really good job. Uh, compared to Mark Thompson, who is the person who I have the most experience with, I think it would be unfair to compare one book to the 10 or 5 that I listened to. But no, I really no, no, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. Peter Kenny is like uh, an award-winning uh, theatrical you know, actor in, in England. Mark Thompson is a career audiobook reader. Sorry, it, 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 there's no comparison. Continuing what I was saying is, if I had to compare, obviously I would say that he is better, but I just think it would be better for me to give a fair shake if I listened to equal amounts, that's all I'm saying. But no, I, I totally agree. I think he did a better job than Mark Thompson. I just didn't want to be fair after listening to one, after listening to five, because, you know... Being no, no, no. There's, like uh, look, there's sci-fi that, that I should like that Peter Kenny does. That's just too weird. Um, no, but with, I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about that. The yeah, sure, sure. That's like fine. That, so. But the Mark Thompson comparison is whenever he tries to do a Padme or something and you just want to kill yourself because his female voices are horrible. Um, no, I, I agree with you 100%. Well, wait until you get Peter Kenny's Siri, which I've been doing a terrible job impersonating. But his Siri is what makes this whole thing go. You never want Siri to stop talking once once she starts talking. It even starts its sort of destiny. He already has nailed it. She never stops being a stubborn, annoying princess on top of how brilliant and awesome she is, you know? And, and, and that's the Princess Leia thing that I love, you know? She's always demanding, she's always impatient, but she always wants to be great, and she loves everybody, and she wants to help everything. I, I, it's, it's great. And he doesn't go over the top trying to sound like a girl. He just really sounds like a, uh, a overly... Um, 
uh, a child with too much aptitude. Does that make sense? You know, a precocious, a precocious child. I, I, I guess they would say. So you, once you hear the Siri, you'll you'll know. And his Yennefer is amazing, right? I mean, he's just getting going with Yennefer in in this one. But when he plays complex, uh, you know, mostly good guy Yennefer going forward, it's a very recognizable voice. Uh, it, it is Yen. Um, I think you and I love the chaos of Yennefer, and that's part, right? Part of what draws us to the character is, is just like in, forget the real world, like in literature, having, uh, a, a trickster character like her just causing problems for people just makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But she's miserable, so that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think her misery came across? Because each time I read The Last Wish, it, 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 it's always more nuanced uh, in terms of her psychology than, than I had remembered. Yeah, I would say it's a little nuanced in this story just because this is the first time as a reader you are really getting involved with her where with the TV show you have her backstory. You're seeing a little bit more of her. You're seeing her struggles. You're seeing her, her humanity and you're, you relate to her more by the time that story happens in the TV show where if you're reading a book, this is the first time you are encountering her. And unless, not really, unless you're really looking for it, you don't see it. It's there, but it's very subtle because, you know, this is your first experience exposure to the character okay so you've seen the series you've read the last wish um the main reason to read sort of destiny in addition to being my favorite of all the books um is another yennefer episode that we're never gonna get um uh although they've been saying jedi girl that they're gonna try and fit in some smaller stories with the serialized stuff season to season i hope that's true usually i don't want that but the witcher i do want that a little bit um and to to be honest again without spoiling things when when when, when the story really gets going and, and people are all in different directions then they all meet up with other characters and people that we don't expect and they don't expect and having relationships and conversations and that actually is really really interesting uh and, and so the characters keep getting engaged in new ways um with, with, the, with the world around them but it, it's still ultimately about the main characters um and uh you know it, it's a uh, i'll just say it's a miracle that yennefer became who she came based on her initial introduction in, in the last wish i mean she, she, and uh it but we, we didn't talk a ton about it I've said, you know, the thing that makes the least sense going forward in terms of the books in The Last Wish is The Last Wish in terms of Yennefer's portrayal. She's never that quite horrible again. But the thing that does not change in Aggie Girl is Dandelion. So and if I, anything, Dandelion grows more into his role as an unofficial advisor to Geralt, who has convinced himself that Dandelion is worthless, and yet he's constantly risking his life to save his supposed non-friend Dandelion, which is amazing. Go ahead. So I have to say, I just absolutely adore him in, yeah. in both versions, yeah. and they're, they're both different, and I, I don't really compare to him, but, you know, obviously I like the book one more, but I think there's aspect to both versions that I can appreciate yeah, yeah, the the the, the you know snobby sticking his nose in the air version of, of the Queen's English that he speaks, you know what I mean, is just 
delightful because Geralt speaking a sort of you know northern working class you know Liverpool you know soccer player English you know what I mean but Yennefer and, and, and Dandelion are, are you know putting on airs of, of this sort of high English or whatever um, what I'm interested to see Jedi Geek Girl is as I mentioned in the last podcast with you the Nilfgaardians and some of the people sort of to the south or whatever from this sort of central European location are sort of Balkan or Slavic or Romanian or Hungarian or whatever and they, they do speak with accents in, in the games they're voiced with accents and Peter Kenny voices them with accents in the books so that will be interesting to see with sort of the multi-ethnic cast by the way the fact that we haven't mentioned the fact that you know, you can easily view the book as just white Central European people in the stories, but he never really says, oh, this person has such and such skin, right? And so they do kind of lend itself to the great diversity in the TV series, is my opinion. But you just read it more recently. I'm interested in what you think about that. I I think that should be standard in storytelling. To, to, to me, if you're making a... A, I mean, obviously there are some cases where you identify the person and skin color, ethnicity comes up, but it was it didn't feel like it was prevalent that it left the door open for the TV show to be a little bit more diverse and beautiful than if you picture these people all as white people. Like even listening to it, obviously I would listen to it after the TV show. I didn't picture everybody, as, you know, as this white European crowd. And and, and I think that is a good uh, method of a story if you can picture in your head anything that you want, if that makes any sense. Because to me it would be very strange if you pic- pictured all these characters as white and you already can see it in the first season with the treatment of elves and dwarves and magic users. These very, you know, let's be honest, whatever your politics, you know, racial discrimination, genocide, ethnic cleansing, and things like that are, are reality around the world. And mm. it, it it's really gets more graphic and, and, and central as this whole insanity goes along. But they're already starting to tease it with the dwarves and the elves and stuff. And that's why Carol says, you know, in the TV show, uh, in a great distillation of the book, he says, look, you can hate me for being a witcher, but don't hate me for being a human. I am not human. So don't confuse me for a human and I won't confuse you for anything else. We both hate what the humans are doing, but we need to be practical about the situation. By the way, I just saw your text. I I know about the whole, uh, the Polish prime minister gave the last wish to Barack Obama, who's uh, actually a notoriously huge fan of uh, good science fiction and fantasy. I happen to know that for a fact, uh, at least good science fiction. I think he would love The Witcher, but Sapkowski is a national hero in Poland because Poland was used... And the site of the, all of the major murders of my people, the Jews, in World War II were, were in Poland. Not because it was all Poles, but because that's where the Germans put the camps, were in Poland. So Poland is even more horrified than most people about what went on during World War II. The author was born right after it, and so they're always trying to repair their image and say, you know, this isn't us. We, we, we don't hate other people. We don't want to kill people. And so the fact that he's such a great fantasy writer and in the rest of the world sold tons of copies... But by the way, I was slightly wrong, Jenny Geek Girl. Uh, Lady of the Lake was not published until like 2016, 2017, but some of these earlier books were, uh, were published in Eng- uh, English uh, within the last 10 years. Um, so, yeah, so he's definitely a national hero over there. I wish we worshipped our authors <laughs> as much as they do. 
Well, not all of them uh, deserve that praise. I mean, I can think of a couple ones that uh, they don't deserve it. So you read the book. You, I mean, you got to read Sword of Destiny, if only because the the Dandelion Geralt story, which has nothing to do with anything that's in that book, is maybe the best standalone dark fantasy comedy of all time. Where it's literally the Dandelion and Geralt are sitting with their dwarf friend and their halfling friend in a bar in some sketchy town as usual. And they're talking to a guy who turns out to be a changeling. Who's like a, who's like a hobbit, but who can, you know, who's a shapeshifter. You know, if you guys watch fucking Star Trek. I assume Doctor Who has shapeshifters? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Ish. So anyway, so, so it's a shapeshifter. But... Of course, being a witcher, a dwarf, and a fucking halfling in Dandelion by association, they're going to get blamed for everything just for being different. And so, but this guy was actually causing problems. Dudu is his nickname. They end up becoming buddies. But over the course of the story, they have to untangle all of the bad things the changeling did to rob people of the money and then get themselves out of town in one piece and not murdered. It's absolutely brilliant. It's an amazing, amazing story and some of the best Andaline Geralt you will ever get. And the final two major chapters of Sword Destiny is Siri and Geralt in Brokolon Woods, which we don't get in the books, and then apart and then back together with the much bigger uh, and more dramatic reunion. Although I will say, Siri with the family and Geralt and the cart almost dying uh, with hallucinations and his mom is is almost straight from the book. Uh, but specifically, uh, Geralt and Siri in Brokolon Woods and the conversations they have really inform their relationship later, but they're able to sell that through performance, I think, uh, already with that one meeting and going forward. So, Jaggy Girl, let me ask you to close this up. You read the book and you've seen the show. What what are, what questions do you have in your mind right now? I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm, I won't even answer if you don't want me to. What are the big uh, questions hovering in, in your brain about what's going on right now? When it comes to the book itself... I am in this area of discovery. I'm trying to take the story as it comes, and I'm excited to find out like what's going to happen in the next few books. I know that you're talking and you're excited and you're talking about the story point, but I know that you're not going to cover everything. And just because you talk about them doesn't mean it's going to be real everything. Like, for example, Green of Truth, which leads me to my next question, which I think most of my questions are more so the TV shows, just because the TV show is, you know, adapting these stories where the books are just the story and I will discover them for myself. But for the TV show, like, I like Agreeing to Truth, Agreeing to Truth. I was actually, I don't want to say surprised per se, because obviously I had no expectation, but I would like to see it adapted. But this story takes place before the story of the conclusion of the end of season one is it possible that this story will be revisited yes. is it are, are they going to do the same thing where they're going it to is. jump between timelines it, it's very possible but it will have to do what i've been saying this whole time which is also serve the interest of telling the longer narrative so yeah that, that, that's what i was thinking yeah. just 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 like the story with Clinty, the the question of price Listening to it, I was list, trying to listen for Dandelion because if you remember, Dandelion owes these people things 
and then there's that little subplot. However, it's not really in the book. I was listening to it, and then it didn't seem like he was there. Where in the TV show, he is there. So it makes me wonder mm. that we could get a green to truth, yeah. but that they will tie it into the larger yep. narrative by having some tie to the current story. Yeah, they, they Lauren Hesrick has specifically said they're going to try and keep telling some smaller stories. Um, which is a huge effort and possible problem for them because once Sapkowski goes on the series saga starting literally the beginning of next season till the end of whenever this is, there, well, I can't, I don't really want to say anything. Let me put it this way. There's a lot of character building stuff with our major characters that is involved in the story already, but that has little side pockets. I don't. I actually don't think they're going to straight up revisit a single story like this. No, I think that's highly unlikely. But as as after next season, which is you know the Avengers come together and then Ultron shows up essentially, uh, it, it, things get really crazy and divided, and we get those smaller stories within the bigger story. And so I think that's what they're going to do. But they they too love these short stories, Jackie Girl, and that's why they did it. I thought this wasn't going to happen this was one of my way wrong predictions six months ago before i knew how this was being structured i was like i I know we've seen you know ugly yennefer and the transformation and blah 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 i was like i bet we get a few episodes from the last wish and sword of destiny and then they go right into the blood of elves i didn't think they had the guts to do an entire season based on the two short story prequel books essentially but they did and so i'm not putting anything past them at this point especially again if they can work it into their larger narrative go ahead well, like I said, this is one of the stories, obviously, I didn't know anything about it because it's, it's not covered in a TV show, and I'm picturing it in my head, and I thought it had this nice gothic horror feel to it that I think if you transfer over to it, to TV live action, I think it could be more creepy uh, than the sticker a little bit. It's, it's obviously very different. If you guys um, like sympathetic vampires, just hold your horses there's something coming. That's that's great. Um, well, well, I don't, I don't think that the vampire in this story is very uh, sympathetic. You no, know, I she, understand that, but I'm just saying stories that, uh, yeah, complicated stories involving vampires. I'm, 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 I'm wondering if the story wasn't carried over in the first season because, like I said, this TV show had to walk that fine line. Like you couldn't show the gin without it being kind of cheesy and kind of funny or kind of weird, and you couldn't show Invisible Jennifer because that would be weird. You know, you, you want to keep the mood. So maybe there was something that you know you couldn't transfer over the story because that the end scene when. Y- Jeff is fighting the vampire. That the vampire is like this beautiful woman who he encounters in the beginning, and she transforms sure. into her her real self, and she has this fight. And maybe that didn't transfer over to live action as well as to what they thought. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to picture it in my head, and I really appreciate that, that story. Really stuck to me because you know that it wasn't carried over to the TV show, so it's really you know I have nothing to, to compare it to. But I really like the gothic mysterious nature of it like imagining trying to watch that story like you have the witcher coming across this mansion you know he he doesn't know what's going on and you're discovering this i i don't know i like the story but you know so the the display of power of pavetta um with her love in the in the in the wedding hall 
where mm-hmm. I, I believe Calanthe has a line in the book along the lines of like, it's going to take a couple months to like repair the throne room or something like that. And then we'll, we'll have a couple weddings or something like that. Uh, cause of all the destruction, right. Of, uh, but, but Siri can do that with her pinky finger. You know, I mean, Pavetta has an inkling of the, the, the elder blood. Siri, it's so much worse. And that's why there's that great scene we see twice, uh, Jaggy Girl, uh, the beginning and the end, you know, when the time, uh, uh, divergence comes back w- with Siri and, uh, and Calanthe and so forth, and Calanthe's dying, where Siri starts screaming and everything starts shaking, you know, just, just, around them and and Kalenti looks and she's scared and she looks at Siri and she's seen this before but this is you know they can tell this is on like another level and she fucked up um, and one of the reasons I, 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 I encourage you and the listeners to also do Sword of Destiny is because in the Sword of Destiny Jedi Geek Girl Geralt is actually more at fault even way more than Kalanthe is in the TV series um, let, let me say that again. In the book, Geralt is way more at fault than Clanthe, especially in comparison to the television series, where he seems to be trying to save Clanthe from herself, and Mausak also working with Geralt, or trying to not to get Geralt assassinated, uh, and so forth. But Geralt has Siri with him. He has the love surprise in the woods where he's safe. With the fucking dryads, and he can take her immediately to Kermoran and avoid everything that happens with the burning of Sintra. But nope, he sends her home, and then two weeks later, Sintra burns to the ground, and he goes, "Fuck, fuck, 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 fuck. what have I done?" Um, and, and so that that makes his you know poisoning in the final episode or whatever. It's way more dramatic in the book because he's so tormented by him destroying the world, essentially, while that's happening, in addition to just being in pain and hating some of his decisions or whatever. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, you have to admit now, having not experienced serious... Oh, this is what I wanted to ask you. Did it? Was it just... You know, natural to just have zero Siri in anything going on here because you knew they were going to have to do the TV show, but in the books, you don't have to do it. No, because I kind of like had an understanding that the first book was going to be a little bit more linear uh, in, in the sense that the stories weren't going to really feature her herself. I, I didn't have any, I, I wasn't really surprised or expectations of, you know, expecting her just because what I knew of what you have been talking about. Yeah, so to go way back to the beginning, and then I'll give you final thoughts on this, where I talk about, no, not way back in the beginning, but back a few sections, talking about not knowing when uh, Sapkowski decided what, in terms of the scope of the series, how far it would go, what type of you know writing he would do, and so forth. Um, which is, halfway through Sword of Destiny, where you're reading that story in the tavern that I described with Dandelion, the, the dwarf, the halfling, the changeling, and Geralt, and so forth. You're, you know, you're still thinking this is just great short story work in an amazing fantasy world. Like, keep it coming. But then you get the two series chapters with Geralt, and you realize that no later than starting writing The Sword of Destiny, uh, that was the latest point upon which he realized that the Siri Geralt thing was a thing that he should explore. 
and it, it really comes to a head with the hug at the end in the book. You've really earned it after two full books, especially with all their adventures together and then apart and together. And you really earn that hug. And it, that hug goes directly to the Blood of Elves in the series saga, which is what's coming next. And so he must have had a sense for what's coming with The Last Wish. I don't think so. And I think there's something very liberating about telling a standalone story, right? I mean, again, whatever you think about the Star Wars anthology movies, the whole point of the Star Wars anthology movies was specifically to do stuff like this. Um, but hopefully you get the anthology like Rogue One, which ties into the main story even while telling its own thing, right? And, and that's what I think is ultimately brilliant about the Witcher stories. Another thing before we wrap up, I would like to... I, I talked about earlier in the episode about one of the reasons why I enjoyed the story, A Green of Truth, is because it was like this twisted version of Beauty and the Beast, where you had, instead of the beast capture beauty, beauty manipulates the beast. In the Beauty and the Beast, the beast is turned back into human through his love of beauty, but in this story... The beast has turned back into human because even though the beauty twisted the beast, the beauty loves, truly loves the beast and in death admits her love to her. I just, I just, I just find that difference on the story really wonderful. And I just, I just had to say the ending because we were talking about it and I just realized that we didn't talk about the ending and how the ending is Beauty and the Beast, but it's not Beauty and the Beast, yeah. and it's like this twisted version. I really just appreciate it. Well, but, then we get another yeah. Beauty and the Beast story with Duty the Hedgehog as well, you know? I mean, it's, it isn't... Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the stories of transformation. It changes a lot, Jay Geek Girl. I'm very curious to see how the series changes tone-wise or not uh, and how people respond to the change of tone. I mean, it's still Geralt and Yennefer... Um, but you know, when you meet girl in Siri at the end of Sword of Destiny and then into the main series, um, then they're really going for a complex epic fantasy saga. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I actually don't think the TV series has a problem because we had all these major battles and fights, including seeing the battle of Sodden, which we all wanted to see at the end with the mages versus the Nilfgaardians guardians or whatever, which was spectacular. And Yennefer's giant fireball, releasing the chaos <laughs> that's my secret cap i'm always angry um it, it, you know it, it, we, we already know in that we're in that territory and people are used to it with game of thrones right in lord of the rings and so they're amped for that stuff but for readers if you really like the last wish and sort of destiny like i do it's a bizarre experience to then read the five series saga books a little bit because it is uh more of an epic fantasy thing but Again, he keeps finding pockets to explore these sort of humanistic um, little areas and and conversations in the world, even among this much bigger story. And as long as you as long as you continue to have uh, continue to have characters like Siri, um, you know, there's always uh, there's always hope uh, in in these books uh, and, and with these characters and. You know, the last wish could have been published, Jaggy Girl. This would be my final thought. If that was published by itself and nothing came afterwards, nothing heard from it again, it would could still be a classic. I think. I absolutely agree. And my final thought on this is. It's a beautiful world to explore and discover, and you have all this knowledge, and I am entering this world anew. A lot of it is me just enjoying it in the moment. Like, I know what's coming because you keep talking about what's coming, but for me, I'm not worried about what is coming. I'm not 
focus on what's it's coming. It's not because- for you to just to clarify. I mean, it's directed at you as my co-host, but it's also to get the audience stoked about what's coming. Right. I'm just saying that my my point of view. I'm just trying to be. I'm just trying to focus on what's coming. This is kind of like when I was reading Solid Legends. Like I know what's coming, but I'm trying to enjoy each story as is. Because if you get focused on the future, you kind sure. you kind of lose sure. your sure. the I, moment. I, I so. think my, my my bigger point with these teases about Virgo Forts and Franchilla and so forth is is that. It's okay to get invested in these cool, charismatic, young side characters, good and bad. It's really okay to get invested in them. I don't, I'm not giving away any spoilers, but you know, it's not just like each. It's you know, most shows each season they find a few really good young actors or actresses and make them good guys, mostly bad guys, and then they're cool and they're gone. That's not the case. And I guess what I wanted to say, Jaggy Girl, is that if anything. Even with the added series stuff in the book, Sword of Destiny, the first season of the show is seeding season two and three as much as serving season one. I just don't think it's apparent unless you are a complete deep dive nerd uh, obsessive like me about it. But when you see characters like Istrid and Vilgefortz and Tessaia, um introduced now, which is in the lore, but they're not introduced until slightly later in the books, you know they're setting up something. Like that's like this whole thing with um Yennefer's backstory and, and her teacher, her rector is Tessaia. Um uh you know, she is a major character coming up in the books uh, in the books and we know that this was the case in terms of Yennefer's upbringing, but we give it to us, you know, like they're giving us, they're giving us the guilty pleasure stuff from the book that we're not getting. And that's why I think people are so embracing of it. If that makes sense is it's not, it's not revisitation of something that we've gotten enough of already, you know, like telling the same story. This is actually filling in gaps that, that, that lore hounds like myself want. Yeah. Yeah. that. Yep. So we're so so you're gonna do sort of destiny, right? You got to do it. You got to do it just for the dandelion that, and Geralt. It's worth it. Trust me. Yeah, but that costs money. I don't have the money <laughs> for it right now. Yeah. I also might have just dropped a hundred and twenty hour uh, plate of dessert on your uh, <laughs> your table as well. <laughs> well, like I said, I can listen to it when I'm working, but it was the first of the month, and I have bills and like. Sure. All my money is like allocated right now. No, this was this was already dessert to, to be able to do. It. Honestly, I didn't think you would read. Not that I didn't think you would read. It eventually, I, I didn't think you get it get to it this quickly. Um, and uh, you know, I sometimes wonder if I would have fallen even after loving the game so much, would I have fallen so madly in love uh, without the audio books? Um, it's an unanswerable question because I mostly consume audiobooks at this point, and it happens that my favorite fantasy and sci-fi writers all have spectacular voice talent. Simon Vance does Dune. Uh, Nigel Planer does the the Discworld novels by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman and some of the Neil Gaiman stuff. You know this guy. So it, it I, I I don't know. Um, but I, I do know that Siri's voice and Geralt's voice and Dandelion's voice are, are indelibly in my brain. Um, and uh, I, I hope you get the Sword of Destiny and the other ones eventually, just to experience the Siri that that I love so much that he plays with so much uh, pizzazz and, and passion and uh, and just like real like youthful, you know. 
I mean, some old guy who plays her like a, like a great, you know, confused teenage girl, basically. Like like all these characters. Um, Liz, let me ask you this: Can can you see the the epic jump coming? Like, you think it's set up enough? Just suck TV briefly, and then we'll really close it. Do you think the TV has set up the epic stakes enough at this point? Because again, when you read the books, you're saying this has greater implications, but it's still mostly short stories. Does the TV do a good enough job, from what you can tell, of combining that with you know forwarding what's clearly going to be a, a bigger narrative? I think that for me, that's something really hard to say without season two actually being here. It's kind of like the prophecy in episode one of the little lioness in the woods or whatever. Like, you don't really understand the gravity of that until you get to, I don't really want to say the end of the season, but till you get farther in the season. So for me, it, it because I'm coming to it, I don't have that knowledge. I don't have the experience. I don't have that, you know, n- you know, I haven't read the story, you know, I sold the so I don't know. So it, it, I can't really say just because I cannot see until that, you know, the second season get here that doesn't mean that they did haven't done a good job just me personally i cannot uh would you by chance be referring to verily i say unto you the heir of the sword and axe is nigh the heir of the wolf's blizzard the time of the white chill and the white light is nigh the time of madness and the time of contempt time of the end the world will die amidst frost and be reborn with the new sun it will be reborn of elder blood of the what the fuck does that say of the seed that has been sown a seed which will not sprout but burst into flame Jesus Christ, there's some prophetic uh, religious shit coming up. Um, uh, <laughs> well, I, I guess, let me ask you this. Knowing that Siri is a big fucking deal, you know, just in general, does the bizarreness and crazy power display of, the, of that, uh, that chapter make more sense? I mean, did that even need to happen? Or, or do you just see that as just like a bizarre standalone story? Question of price. I definitely see it like there's more to the story there, but I also realize that it's a story that we're not going to really get expanded upon until, you know, later episodes. Like like for me, I, I get a very Fellowship of the Ring vibe to this season where obviously the biggest stakes, but we're not there is building to it, you know, and like what you've been saying, I've been getting those same vibes. So obviously the fellowship of the ring in the first season of the Witcher are different, but I feel like I still get that same vibe. It's like the end of fellowship of the ring is, you know, kind of like the end of uh, the Witcher where in the context of the story that is told you don't you know that something is coming there's more to the story you know stakes will go up but right now it's kind of kind of like a calm if that makes any sense it's really hard for me to say without having the stuff in context and and obviously when i say in context i mean not having seen until and that's just me yeah and and that's why i've been so impatient because you know this is like the hobbit in the beginning of the fellowship of the ring and the end of next season is everything that happens from Gandalf in Moria to Boromir's death and the, the splitting of the fellowship. Like that's, what's going to happen next season. Not, not exactly that, but you understand what I'm saying in terms of seriousness of the situation. Um, and right. And so it's like, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan and you're like, okay, this fellowship thing is okay. You know, you're watching it and you're like, you wait till you see the end of it and the two towers and return of the King. You know what I mean? And so it's, I'm just excited for people to see, to see that. 
Um, but I will, Jiggy Girl, I, I, I will announce here, uh, Simi, Klimo, and I, uh, a couple nights from now, hopefully, if we get this done, are going to be doing a straight prediction podcast of season two, which will mean discussing fully the next two books, Blood of Elves and Time of Contempt, because I believe very strongly that they are going to go into mid-book two, uh, in season two, because there's a specific event that happens then, that would be a great way to end the season and split it up. Um, uh, but we will be doing our predictions uh, for next season. Full spoiler of the first two books, not of the entire series and the entire season. So uh, there you go for that. Um, are are you are you looking forward to next season at this point? I guess we still have to wait a year. It's kind of annoying. I am, but I also don't think we have that long to wait. A year? A year is not long? It feels long. Well, it's coming out. We we had this conversation, you know, last episode. It's coming out the same time. Mandalorian season two is coming out. So, yeah. and that's not that far away. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, people are just going to eat up Siri. Everything about Ray, but it, you know, <laughs> just so much more going on uh, with the character, um, and you know, the actress already seeming like a star. Um, and she's really going to have to do everything. I mean, she has to be sweet and funny and complicated and weird and awkward and murderous and complicated and out of control. I mean, she has to be so many things. Um, uh, and it will be interesting to see, uh, where that goes. But, you know, I'm constantly talking about the Lord Jaggy girl and, you know, where the series saga is going. But as I've said, these short story books are, are my favorite to just straight up read, either read or, or listen to, um, for all the reasons that you said. And hopefully I contributed, um, a few good things. Uh, final thoughts just in general. Um, why do you think it, it the, you know, there's such a negative thing against short stories and we just, we just don't see it that much among like big authors, you know, big, um, I don't know, uh, big properties. I think with modern storytelling, people have gotten used to long-form storytelling that whenever they invest into a new series, story, book, movie, TV shows, they always expect it to be part of a larger story, to be a continuous story, instead of being a more standalone-ish each entry, it is more of a entry into a larger story. So I just think that has to do with cultural expectations and how people have gotten used to that form of media, that whenever they get the short stories or the more sitcom, for lack of better words, episodic television that they no longer have that um that that freedom to enjoy that stuff because technology has advanced that you don't have to worry about catching every episode you can catch it whenever you want so you you can see the narrative from beginning to end without worrying about missing out on something and just watch the episodic uh sing a standalone thing because you're never going to catch every episode now that you can so the expectation there is to you know get it all if that makes any sense mm, mm. okay so which is your favorite story i would have to say that of the book the sticker is my favorite uh, of all of them uh, and i also think that the last wish is also. She wants to say the me. last wish, but it's so sexy. She's not. She's not going to say it. I, I. I know you want to say the last wish. Just say it. Just say it. It's the last wish. Last wish is your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It's kind of my tale. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hot. Like, For a fantasy story, it's so, like, you know, it's like Jin Cassian sexy, though, you know? I, I don't know. There's something weird going on in that story. Well, like I said, I definitely like this version of the story yes. more than the TV show, but try not to compare because it's two different forms of media. But they did capture how, like, you think she's just seducing him, but then she makes him go commit all these crimes to put him behind bars as part of her game. I mean, Yennefer's playing all of these little mind games in addition to her little power plays. It, it's so childish, but, like, it's ballsy and, and funny and scary. I I, I don't know. I, I they tried to work as much into the TV show as possible, but yeah, without the long, sexy scenes and the conversations, it's not quite the same. One of my favorite things about the episode is when he first encounters Yennefer, and you have Dandelion injured, and he just sets Dandelion next to a naked woman, you know, provocative, <laughs> yeah. and he's sitting there injured. It's, it's just... I, I, That's where he likes to be. If he has to suffer and maybe die, might as well put him... <laughs> put his head where his head likes to be. <laughs> um, and that's another thing, by the way, Jay Geek Girl, they did specifically in the show for now, is make him younger and more naive and actually less sort of sexually uh, experienced, seemingly, than the, the dandelion in the stories, who classically is actually like a Lothario, who, while he lies about a lot of things and makes up stories and exaggerates, has actually slept with a lot of women. The eskier that we've gotten so far... You know, the way he tries to hit on the, the the defenders of the dragon, for example, the black women, is so awkward. Uh, I, 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 I like that for the TV show performance. You don't want him to be a total fucking sleazeball when you're trying to get people to like this guy. I, I also enjoyed a moment in the book when Yennefer and Gareth are, like, fighting, you know, that sexual tension, and he just shoves his head in, a, in her cleavage. <laughs> And I, and I think that he did that to prevent something. Uh-huh. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah but by the way, the sto- the story I keep raving about at the tavern in the next book with with the two of them and the dwarves and the halflings and the freak show and whatever starts with Dandelion getting kicked out by a woman who finally is hip to all of the other women he's sleeping with. And it's the classic, like, throwing the shirts and the pants and then the couch out the window thing. You know what I mean? Oh, it's absolutely great. And Dandelion acting completely... uh, 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 Like, how could you possibly accuse me of such a thing? I would never cheat on you, no matter what. You know what I mean? Oh, it's it's absolutely great. Yeah. He's the character that keeps on giving... Honestly, most hardcore Witcher fans I know who don't maybe even love this series are okay with the portrayal because we were so nervous that they would completely screw it. Like, maybe it's not going to be nearly as good ever, but we were worried they would completely screw the pooch. But they got a really charming guy with an amazing voice and musical talent. And I, I think most of us who who love him but we're concerned about the right i mean you you could see where i'm coming from where i talking about like we we were concerned about the sort of translation to the average person of of dandelion yeah well i enjoyed him well yeah but you you get characters like that and now you've read it and it's amazing in the book and i agree with you of course it's better in the book and i also agree i don't know uh, uh, i don't say i agree with you on this cuz you didn't specifically say this but I would agree with the sentiment that I don't. He's the character that will never fully translate into the TV show because what makes Dandelion Dandelion is his page after page after page of spouting bullshit. <laughs> That's hilarious. 
of the dragon episode. Oh, uh, that's the other th- thing, Jaggy Carl, uh, with the dragons, uh, which was episode six in the series and is in, uh, the sort of destiny is Yennefer stays kind of evil in that much longer and, 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 and fucking Dandelion is a fucking skeevy ass motherfucker. I mean, Yennefer gets straight up basically partially raped, uh, in that story in the sort of destiny. And Dandelion is like an active watcher, not a participant, but like, it, it's pretty weird. Uh, and she goes much, much further in that story. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he takes Yennefer very, very far, but also Dandelion into way less likable, uh, directions in the early books. And then it changes. It changes because of four letters, C-I-R-I, Siri, Cirilla, the princess, the lion cub of Sintra. I know, guys, you might not, still not be sure totally what's going on with Siri, but just trust me, all of these older people with problems and emotional issues and maturity issues, they just need a daughter that they can all become obsessed with to get their, their brains straight. And there's still going to be lots of problems, but, uh, series, the, 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 the answer to, to everything. And it summed up Jakey Girl by the hug, right? At the end. I mean, even if you never read Sword of Destiny and you read The Last of Wish and you saw the series, like, it's still a sweet moment. Indeed. Okay. Any final thoughts about this? I am looking forward to diving into the second book when I get to it. I'm looking forward to the second season. I think doing the TV show first before the book really helped grow the universe for me. I highly recommend if you're listening to this and have not read the book to read the book. Despite this episode full being full of spoilers for the book, I still think it's worth diving into. Uh, yeah, I'm glad I dove, dove into it. I'm looking forward to the future. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, like, hey, Disney, female minority casting back in your court, you know, <laughs> I think Witcher proved its point pretty successfully uh, by not even talking about it and it not even being an issue. Uh, I mean, really across the board. Um, I, I would also say that it helps that it wasn't an issue when you have that demographic and it is a group of people who want to target that sort of thing, who aren't focused on the Witcher. They're focused on other things. I'm, I'm thankful that they're not focused on Witcher because those group of people, they tend to just destroy things, you know? Well, right. But here's the, here's the difference. In Star Wars... If you're a really old school conservative asshole, you say, well, yeah, Leia was there, but it's all about the men, Han and Luke and Obi-Wan and Vader and the Emperor and the blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, you know, it's mostly about the men. And now they're adding all these women and blah, blah, blah. No. In The Witcher, it's all about the women from the beginning. Renfrew and Yennefer and Ciri and Pavetta and, and Kalinthi and everyone we've talked about and Triss and more. It's literally, it's Geralt and Dandelion and a bunch of women. I mean, that's, that's The Witcher series, Jackie Girl. And so, right, but, you can't right, be but, a hater of women and be a Witcher fan. You know what I mean? Because there's no like, oh, all of a sudden the women took over. It's like, no, the women have been in charge the whole time. And Geralt's the first one that would admit it as with Dandelion. Go ahead. 
But you know, as well as I do, that those type of people don't have a grasp on the source materials. A lot of the criticism about certain things about whatever. There were people complaining about She-Hulk that did not know that She-Hulk was a character for about almost 40 years. Right. But people so, who read comic books, it's not the same as people who read thousands of pages. No, no, no. Well, yeah. what I'm saying is, is you have this group of people who will target these fictional series that are not informed on these fictional material because they like to yes. complain about these things. Yes. What I'm saying is, is I'm, I'm not saying that you would have Witcher fans who would fall into that category. I would no, we're say lucky to not have people. those people yet, and it's going to happen eventually. You're right. But so far, the only people in America who know about The Witcher are people who like The Witcher. Right, with, right, which is a good thing, which means it's a lot more honest, it's a lot more raw of a fan, that, you know, it's a lot more truthful to it because you don't have, because there are people who stir up drama, who make mm-hmm. arguments, who have no basis in yep. what they're talking about, and what I'm saying, I'm thankful, but those people, are, they're diverted right now, their attention is somewhere else, which I appreciate because that means we can just enjoy the richer instead of having those people complain about it without even reading the book or watching the show in the first place because you know those people would complain without even diving in and learning about what they're complaining about in the first place. And Geralt's super manly and all the ladies love him, right? And so, but he's super sensitive and complicated, you know? Like, he's kind of the perfect inroads on both sides Uh, because no matter what, even everything I've said, which is completely true, that we're going to have as much perspective going forward from Siri and, and Triss and, and, and Yennefer as we do from Geralt. Nevertheless, it's called The Witcher, and he is The Witcher, Geralt The Witcher. And now we're getting an anime series, thank God, and everything else, and, the, and more video games. It's going to be amazing. He's the guy. He's The Witcher. He's super manly, and the hot ladies love him, right? And so it, it's, it, you know, we have a super manly guy uh there <laughs> to to hold on to uh as well but what's really interesting are the male characters that are coming sort of into the fellowship of the series going forward who are very very different from what you would possibly think some of them you've met already and you wouldn't expect it some of them you guys haven't met yet but there's some great stuff about men hashing out men's issues being idiots uh and but 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 ultimately being good guys and, and hashing it out and that's what I was sort of talking about earlier, Jaggy Girl. You know, they can tell some smaller stories within the bigger story because it breaks off into parties and blah, blah, blah. You know, just like in Lord of the Rings, you have more time. You can do Frodo, Sam stuff, you know, things like that and, and so forth. Um, but I don't know. We'll, we, we will have to see. We will have to see. So it's very cool. I was very excited to do this. Uh, I haven't done a lot of book reviews on the podcast before. Um, uh, I will also say that, you know, I, a topic that's that's close to me is about prophecy um, and, uh, and messiahs and so forth. And with Dune, uh, the giant Dune production coming out on Christmas, being the forefather for things like this and Star Wars and, and other properties in the Matrix and so forth, uh, I'm, I'm working on a series of podcasts leading into Dune that will also uh, talk about Star Wars and uh, The Witcher and things like the Matrix and, and similar properties and so forth. So, um, okay. Final, final, final question. Who is your favorite character in all of The Witcher so far that you've experienced? I know the answer, but go ahead. Yennefer. A Vengerberg who smells like lilac and gooseberries. By the way, my favorite <laughs> Twitter account, who I'm friends with and buddies with, and we talk, is called, they're called lilac and gooseberries, bitch. 
and they just post like aggressive like rose tico level you know uh anti like hating anti yennefer people posts <laughs> all day long just like flaming people who hate on yennefer and the female character it's just flaming them it's great it's absolutely great yeah, it definitely sounds like I need to check out that. <laughs> yeah, Lilac and Gooseberry's bitch. There's uh, awesome. Because in the books, you know, it's a joke because Geralt says nothing and seems to have not a lot going on in his head, but he always thinks about she smells like Lilac and Gooseberries over and over and over again. Lilac and Gooseberries. Uh, it, you know, I think I do in the British accent or whatever. Um, but I'm glad he did the audiobook. Peter Kenny's definitely the way to go, and I would say for sure just wait until you can afford or have time or whatever to do the audiobooks uh, for this. It's worth just the experience, and you're going to get it. Anyways, for people out there, guys, just so you know, if you start reading books like Blood of Elves and Time of Contempt and the series saga books, you will get quote-unquote spoiled for next season, but I'm sure Lauren Hisrick and her people have lots up their sleeves as well, so hopefully there'll be some you know interesting uh, divergences and so forth. Jakey Girl, as you know, I don't normally care about spoilers, and so having an entire series where I know all the spoilers and all the information... Um, and the biggest challenge is to shut my fucking mouth. Uh, I, I don't really mind because I'm just excited to see it uh, come to screen. And it's kind of a cool experience, right, of having TV and reading media and video game media. Now we have anime media. And we've got computer game media, right? Uh, or, um, uh, you know, all going on at the same time. Yep, indeed. Okay. Um, do you want to self-promote? Yes, you can find me everywhere at Jedi Geek Girl. You can find my podcast everywhere at Arabella Destiny. My podcast is based on a Star Wars Destiny game. It is being transferred over to cover all geek topics, kind of like this show is set up. However, uh-huh. that that will not change until about June. However, a Facebook page at facebook.com slash Destiny has already kind of transferred over, and I have been posting about geek things, including about The Witcher, Marvel TV shows, Yu-Gi-Oh!, all kinds of things. So if you want to find out more about my podcast, check it out. iTunes, Google Play, any podcatcher, Arabelle, a Star Wars Destiny podcast. And you, like I said, you can find me everywhere at Jedi Geek Girl. Well, I feel like a winner, Jedi Geek Girl, because you've now watched and liked The Witcher, and you've read and that like The Last Way. So I feel like the biggest fucking winner on the planet. And Simi, too, and other friends of mine, you guys are the ones I respect the most. So I, I, I feel like a winner. And I, I'm, I, you know, I, I don't, I never expect people to love what I love necessarily, but if it makes people happy and enjoy it, that makes me happy. Not to mention a tease for a future episode. You got me Wild Horizons. Horizon Zero Dawn. <laughs> I knew it. I knew. I, I was like, I'm going to own her with this because she can't turn it down. <laughs> I had a friend pulled that with me once with Uncharted. Uh, it, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it's amazing, though. Talk about lead female characters. Oh, man. Oh man! All right, Yennefer. Your favorite character is Yennefer. Mine's Siri, but it's 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 a much longer uh, it's a much longer journey. Uh, actually, I would say my favorite character is Vilgefortz, but he's such a horrible bad guy. Uh, it's not really probably the smartest thing. Uh, and then the other ones I would say would be spoilers of later seasons. So I'm just gonna say Siri for now because I'm gonna be the best witcher of all the witches. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Jedi Geeko, for being part of the Bizzle's Witcher coverage. This has been great. Thank you so much. 
slight correction here. It's not Wild Horizon. Wild Horizon is the next set after set nine of Star Wars Destiny. It's actually Horizon Zero Dawn. So I'm looking forward to diving into that. And Bizzle, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you, BizzleCast listeners. May the Force be with you. But for now, the BizzleCast is out.